can open the meeting and uh, let me say welcome to the public and to commission members. This is a November 14th, 2023 meeting of the Milton Conservation Commission. Uh, commission members are appointed by the select board to uh, implement the rules and regulations of the Wetlands Protection Act, which is a state law, as well as the Milton Town Bylaw governing the wetlands. Uh, we have two matters of formality that uh, we'd like to put on the record at the beginning. The first one is we invite everyone to speak, uh, but to do so, we ask that you identify yourself for record-keeping purposes. Um, and uh, secondly, as a matter of formality, we introduce ourselves. My name is John Kiernan. I'm just doing this because I can see people. Arthur, could you introduce yourself? Arthur Doyle, member. Uh, Todd Hamilton. Todd Hamilton, member. Wendy. Good evening. My name is Wendy Garpo. Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer, member. All right. Did I? Uh, Arthur Doyle, where are you? I lost you. Oh, there you are. Arthur. You, you, you roll call me. <laughs> okay. So we have our, our quorum, as I indicated, that um, uh, Hans Van Lingen could not attend and uh, Ingrid Beatty could not attend as well. We're ready to go. And uh, uh, for the public's benefit, I should announce that number five on the agenda will be continued at the request of the applicant until December 12th. That's a notice of intent at 600 Canton Avenue slash 85 Highland Street. With that said, we go to number one on the agenda, which is Richard Wells. Uh, from the Capital Improvement Planning Committee. He's the chairperson. Richard Wells, are you present and in attendance? I don't see you. Um, Philip, are you able to see Richard in the waiting room? Or anybody? <laughs> um, I don't see him, so uh, we will... Oh, let me see, I've got another... I've got to scan through more people. I don't see him, John. No, nor do I. All right, so we will table number one uh, temporarily because I do expect uh, Mr. Wells to attend. Uh, so we'll go right to number two on the agenda request for certificate of compliance at 339 Hillside Street. Is the applicant in attendance? I don't see anyone. I know we have received the uh, the plans, although the as-built plans are, are termed a certificate of compliance plans. And we do um, have a letter from Kevin Grady, uh, PE, um, which is required. And it says, uh, we hereby certify that we have inspected the project at the above referenced address and the work has been completed in substantial compliance with the order of conditions and the, the approved plans referenced therein. Any and all deviations from the approved plans mm -hmm. are shown on the certificate of compliance plan included herewith. Uh, please find one copy of the compliance plan and uh, WPA form 8A. Our, our custom and practice is to have the applicant here and or have our agent Steve Ivis go out and inspect the property. Uh, looks like we don't have any anyone. So my suggestion would be, I, I don't know that there's any urgency here. I, I don't see any problems, but I would prefer that we either have Steve Ivis inspect this and he will be back, I believe on the 1st of December. So he will be uh, able to do that in time for our, 
December 12th meeting. Uh, and or if somebody comes in later in the meeting uh, on behalf of the applicant to request this, uh, we could address it then. But my suggestion is we continue this until December 12th. Anybody opposed to that? Hearing none, uh, December 12th is the meeting. Number three on the agenda is certificate of compliance at 50 Summer Street. Is the applicant here? Yes, I'm here. Perfect. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Can you tell us uh, what the project is and what you've done? And in particular, I'll, I'll give you a heads up. My question is going to be, how long have the plantings been in place? That is, have they survived over a particular period of time? Yes. So um, for the project, we... Good. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Could you identify yourself, please? Oh, yeah, sure. My name is Christina Yu. Um, so I'm from 50 Sumner Street in Milton, and we had... 22 plantings um 12 of sorry 11 evergreen plantings and stone posts installed also removal of sprinkler heads and piping on the conservation land and installation of stone riprap um let's see yep so the plantings were installed and the granite markers at the two property corners Now I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like this is form of a substance, but do you have a uh, an engineer or a plan that um, I by the way I believe you, um, but do you have a plan that has been stamped saying that yes substantial compliance yes so I hired um I hired Stephen Reed from land planning and he wrote a letter um stating that the site seems to be in good condition and um, he would recommend issuance of a certificate of compliance upon the commission satisfactory and steve ivis um came out to inspect the property and he said that everything looks good all right do you know how long the plants have been there we have a uh, a two-year survival mm -hmm. standard. do you know yes. how long they've been up and running yeah so um over two years like two and a half years all right any questions from commissioners no, Mr. Chairman, I'd only add that when I was in that area recently, I took a look at the site and it looks very impressive. Very well done. Thank you. All right, good. I know there was an issue and it's not, it wasn't really your issue. There was a, a drainage pipe and there was some concern by the fellow that lived across the street. Not Sumner, but um, what's the cross, the, the cross street? In any event, he had some drainage issues and I didn't know if that had improved or uh, abated in any way. Do you know? I think it's actually coming from conservation land, not young land. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Any other commissioners? If if we've got the attestation of compliance and it's been more than two years and Steve Ivis has seen it, I'm comfortable issuing the certificate of compliance. Uh, any commissioners have thoughts or questions on that? Okay. Hearing none, is there a motion to issue the certificate of compliance? So moved, Mr. Chairman. All right, thank you. Is there a second? Okay. Wendy, thank you very much. Uh, any discussion among commission members? Hearing none, I'll take a roll call vote. Um, Arthur Doyle? Yes. Wendy Garpo? Yes. Todd Hamilton? Yes. Tom Palmer? Aye. 
I missed it, Tom. What did you say? Aye. Aye. Yeah. Good. Okay. <laughs> I'm I too. I, I vote yes as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank uh, Christina, you. you're all set to go. Thank you very much for your courtesy and attendance tonight. Of course. Thank you so much. Have a good night. All right. You too. Thanks. Next on the agenda is um, for Breck Street. This is a request for certificate of compliance. Do we have yes. the present? Yes. Good Good evening. It's, it's Lydia Mason. Yes. Oh, welcome, Lydia. Hi. Can you, so, can you tell us? So I have the same. Um, my plantings are 15 plantings in the back of conservation land, and they've been there for oh, like two and a half, almost three years. Mm -hmm. And wow. Steve Ibis did come out to look at them also. I guess the last time, last year when I requested a certificate, they wanted one more year of um, growth. So the last year was in September that I came in front of the commission. So now we're in November. I recall that. Um, was it, didn't you have a tree removal issue right back by where the garage is? Did that one ever come down? I know there was one that looked somewhat unsafe yeah. near your property. Yeah, and that was last year when I submitted everything and that was um, completed last year. Everything was completed last year. The only thing for one year from September was the commission wanted additional year of um, the plants to grow in the back. All right. And I know you said Steve has seen it, and I agree. We've been out. The commission has been there a, a number of times, so I agree with everything you're saying. Do you have a – is there a letter attesting to the uh, compliance with the order of conditions? Yes. All right. Any questions from commission members? Actually, are there any butters that uh, have a question or a comment? I should ask that always. Uh, hearing none, is there a motion to issue the certificate of compliance at 4 Breck Street? I move we issue. Thanks. Wendy, you went first, so I'll, I'll give the motion to you, and Tom, you get the second. Any discussion Great. among commission members? Hearing none, uh, Arthur Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, Wendy, how do you vote? Yes. Todd, how do you vote? Yes. Tom, how do you vote? Aye. And I, John Kiernan, vote uh, yes as well. Thank you very much. You've got your certificate of compliance, Lydia, and thank you for your attendance and, and your courtesy. Okay. Um, number five on the agenda has been continued until December 12th. Number six is approval to purchase up to an additional 10 Conservation Commission signs. Uh, Arthur Doyle, do you want to address that one? Uh, thank you, um, Mr. Chairman. Uh, yes, uh, we previously approved 10 signs um, that are being installed uh, this year, and uh, we have uh, significant uh, additional sites for signage and a need to have um, in storage, a couple of replacement signs. Um, so um, using the same uh, budget as was employed last year, um, we have on the agenda um, this uh, request for purchasing an additional 10 uh, conservation signs uh, to fill um, the remaining needs and to have a couple of replacement uh, signs on hand. Uh, the budget um, for this last year was 
uh, just under uh, $10,000, $9,650. Uh, we had, um, through our Department of Public Works, a great find in terms of a manufacturer at uh, less than 50% of what other providers uh, were putting on the table. So I would um, make a motion, Mr. Chairman, if it's in order, to um, have an approval for the purchase of up to an additional 10 Conservation Commission signs, uh, not to exceed $9,990. Nine nine fifty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety. Nine 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 zero. Just under ten thousand. All right. Now, are there any cost savings in involved in that to the extent that the is this the same company that uh provided the, the first set? I checked with Mr. Berkeley um on that and it would be if um all goes well. And uh, the individual signs last year were nine six fifty, bringing it up to nine thousand six hundred and fifty for the ten that were previously purchased. He is hoping that uh, with um, the die set by the manufacturer and so on down the line, that that would offset uh, inflationary costs and things of that nature, and that we might be able to uh, obtain the ten additional signs uh, for under ten thousand dollars. All right. And for the public's benefit and the commission's benefit, uh, this money would come from the revolving fund, which was approved, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago by the annual town meeting. Uh, it's a revolving fund we're entitled or allowed, I guess, <laughs> to expend up to $15,000 per year from that fund. We currently have about $96,000 in the fund. Um, so we have the funds to do it, and we have the authorization pursuant to the annual town meeting to expend those funds as long as it's for environmental purposes. And uh, I, I suggested it is. And again, for the public's benefit, uh, we have now, how many are in place? Arthur? Are all 10 up now? Uh, the, the last report um, out to the commission had five. And since that time, uh, two have um, been placed both on uh, either side of Holland Street. So seven are up and we will have on the agenda before us uh, three more for consideration, which will exhaust the 10 in the initial order. All so right. seven out of the 10 allocated for this fiscal year are in place. All right, are there any questions from commissioners? Are there questions from members of the public or comments? Hearing none, uh, as the proponent of the uh, of the motion, would you like to make the motion, Mr. Doyle? Um, I did, Mr. Chair. So okay. I will just reiterate um, uh, the approval of the purchase of up to an additional 10 conservation signs uh, for a budget not to exceed $9,990. Is there a second for that motion? Second. Thank you, Todd. I, I saw Todd before I saw you, Tom. Uh, we can give you two seconds. Uh, other, other, is there any discussion among commission members? Because we have a motion and a second. Uh, hearing no discussion, we'll take a, a roll call vote. Uh, Mr. Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, Ms. Capo, how do you vote? Yes. Mr. Hamilton? Yes. Mr. Palmer? Aye. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. That's unanimous. Thank you very much, Mr. Doyle.
Next on the agenda, uh, and it's appropriate in terms of where this is going, the seven is um, determination of applicability of conservation sign Blue Hills Parkway at Pope's Pond. And for the public's benefit, please be aware that any alteration within the jurisdiction of the Wetlands Protection Act or the Milton Town Bylaw uh, requires that any applicant, including the Conservation Commission, apply to the commission for approval and placing the signs in there does actually constitute an alteration of the land. So in uh, in an attempt to be in full compliance with the, the statutory and regulatory rules and regulations, the Conservation Commission is bringing this uh, request for determination of applicability. Um, can you tell us more about where the sign is going to go, Mr. Doyle? Uh, yes, Mr. Chairman, in item number seven, uh, the IDA would be for a location at Pope's Pond, which um, would be located along Summer Street and uh, visible um, along that route, as well as possibly from Canton Avenue in at least one, maybe both directions. It would be, um, everybody has a copy of a, a map that um, Mr. Driscoll provided uh, on this site. And um, there's a hash mark that would indicate the location of the sign, which would be essentially just to the left of the trail going into Pope's Pond off Sumner Street, Sumner Street, I should say, at the intersection of Sumner Street and Canton Avenue. Thank you very much. Are there questions from commissioners? Are there abutters or members of the public that have a question or a comment? Hearing none and seeing none, uh, is there a motion to approve this uh, negative determination of applicability um, with the uh, usual conditions that uh, you know, any any hole in the ground to not stay open overnight uh, and any equipment not be uh, stored or refueled within our jurisdiction with those usual, what we call boilerplate conditions. Um, is there a motion to issue a negative determination of the RDA? Thanks, Wendy. You've got the motion. Tom, do you second the motion? I, I second the motion. Any discussion? Hearing none, Mr. Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, uh, Ms. Capo, how do you vote? Yes. Mr. Hamilton? Yes. Mr. Palmer? Aye. And I, John Kiernan, vote aye, yes, as well. That's unanimous. Thank you very much, Mr. Doyle. Next on the agenda is number eight, determination of applicability, conservation sign, Herrick Drive and School Street. Can you tell us about that one? Uh, that uh, sign would go on town property at the intersection angled in such a way as to address the conservation lands um, adjacent to one another on both School Street and on Herrick Drive. And a map of that location with a hash mark or a bar for the location of the sign has been provided in each member's packet as well by uh, Philip Driscoll. Any questions or comments from commissioners? Hearing none, are there any comments or questions from members of the public or butters in particular, but any member of the public? I see no hands raised and I hear no voice. Uh, is there a motion to 
issue a negative determination of applicability for the conservation sign at Herrick Drive and School Street. Thank you, Wendy. Is, is there a second? Todd, thank second. you very much. Did you get the second? Any discussion? Hearing none, Mr. Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, Wendy Capo, how do you vote? Yes, please. Okay, Dodd Hamilton. Yes. All right, uh, Tom Palmer. Aye. Thank you, and I, John Kiernan, uh, I'm a guest, please, too. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's unanimous. Uh, going on to the next agenda item, which is number nine. Uh, this is the determination of uh, applicability at uh, Riverside Avenue. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Chairman. This proposed uh, sign would be located just off Riverside Avenue uh, on uh, town property. There is, again, a map in each member's folder. And uh, looking at the map, you will see a, um, a gray shaded area, which is town property and a bar or hash mark at the location um, of the proposed sign, which would give it uh, uh, angular visibility uh, to all people in that area who use Riverside Drive. Um, and for commission members, the benefit, uh, um, Arthur and I have actually gone out and you know, walked these areas and uh, in Arthur's wisdom, uh, I think uh, he gets the credit for selecting great locations for public visibility for placing these signs. So I thank you, Arthur, for that. Are there any uh, comments or questions from commissioners? Are there any comments or questions from abutters or members of the public? Hearing none and seeing no, no hands raised, uh, is there a motion to issue a negative determination of applicability with our usual conditions for the placement of the sign on Riverside Drive? Thanks, Todd, very much. Is there a second? Wendy, thank you very much. All right. Any discussion? Hearing none, uh, Mr. Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Ms. Capo, how do you vote? Yes, please. <laughs> uh, Mr. Hamilton? Yes. All right. And Tom Palmer? Aye. And I, John Kiernan, vote uh, yes as well. So that's unanimous. Thank you very much, Mr. Doyle. Thank you, Commission members. Uh, look forward to seeing that. And people are starting to comment. I mean, I, I've heard people on the streets saying, hey, I saw the sign for you know, in different locales. And I think it's a great idea for public education to to know and appreciate where the conservation land is. Uh, so I think it's a good project. And Arthur, you get the, you get the credit for this. Oh, it's teamwork, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> All right. Um, next on the agenda, number 10, is Notice of Intent, Access Road, Town of Milton, Quarry Hills. The applicant is here, I hope. Oh, I, Deb Keller, hi, thank you. Deb Keller. <laughs> uh, so I I can get started it, uh, unless you need to read anything prior. Oh, we're good. Okay. Tell us what's what's going on. All right, sure. Deb Keller with Merrill Engineers representing uh, the I guess the town as the owner as well as the uh, project proponent um, of USC LLC. So if I could share my screen, I could walk through the plans if that's helpful. It's very helpful. Yes, please. Um, could I get, uh, I think I need. Uh, yeah, Philip, permission. can you help? I'm trying. Hold on. Okay. Okay. I, I'll start talking. Oh, looks like. Can I do it? 
You did. Oh, good. Deb, now it's up uh, to you. <laughs> nope. I, I think that's somebody else's screen. Uh, Warrior Hills Access Road is on the right-hand side of the screen. I see all the pictures. I mean, uh, I mean, I see our screens, the commission members on the right. Oh, yeah, that's that's Philip's screen. You're you're sharing your own. Oh, sorry. Philip, um, on the right hand side, one, two, yes. three, four columns to the left in the center is Quarry Hills Access Road. There's a folder. Say that again. Sorry, Arthur. That's all right. Um, go to the left of your screen. Yeah. a watershed in the middle and move to the left. The fourth folder in is Quarry Hills Access Road by label. Hold on. Yep. I'm new at this. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> You're miles ahead of me, Philip. <laughs> I can't even fold, find the folders I've been talking about. <laughs> Can I hit new share? Can't you just give Deb uh, permission to share rather than doing it yourself? Um, yeah, if I could figure out how to do that, sure. Um, Typically, there's a button to the right of the share screen where you can yes. click and allow participants to, to share their screen. Uh, I'm not seeing it on my screen, but um, that's normally where I find it. Um, sorry about this. Hmm. Oh, All right. <laughs> Any other suggestions? Bill, what do you have on your screen? I just have conservation, so like the starting screen. Hold on. Okay, I, I have a whole series of folders. Okay on my screen um, that are yours, it appears. Okay. You do not have that, correct? Hey, Kath Catherine, I saw your comment. Um, uh, Philip, can you make Deb a co-host? Is that easier than giving her access to share? All right, how to, all right, so hold on. And you're going to have to do that? Sorry. <laughs> I sure don't. Well, uh, uh, Tom, you were helpful before, uh, you know, helping uh, screen sharing. Tom Palmer? Um, I'm sorry. I hardly ever use Zoom, and I'm doing my browser this time. So um, I think, if you don't mind, um, sure, me just popping right. in. I think if you hover over the person's name, I'm not sure whose screen you want to share, and there should be three little dots, yeah. and you can click on that. 
and whoever is the host should be doing that. And then it should be able to say, make that person a co-host. All right, hold on. So I think for Deb, all right, hold on. Find your name, sorry. Oh, here we go. All right, so make co host. Here we go. Yes. All awesome. right. All right, we just did that. So I wonder if now it looks like I st uh, can you st um, it, by any chance stop sharing your screen? Um, There should be sort of like a um, green bar either at the top or the bottom of your screen where it, 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 it'll say stop sharing. Ah, there we go. Oh, right. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, bummer. I, I I still can't get in to share my screen. Okay, hold on. Can we go back to uh, Philip? Yeah, find Deb's name, yeah. hover over it. Okay, I've got it. I know that's worked in the past. Okay. Okay. Did I do it? Let's see. I'm going to go back. Yes. All yes. Right. Yay. We got there. Okay. So I'm going to share. So now, hopefully, you see an existing conditions plan. Yes. Awesome. We do. Okay. Great. Thank you, Philip. So again, I'll I'll just start off. Deb Keller with Merrill Engineers and Land Surveyors uh, here representing uh, the Town of Milton and uh, USC LLC. Um, just to give a brief history, so USC LLC uh, filed a uh, 40B project for a 40-unit uh, development on 728 Randolph Ave, which is this parcel here. Um, during that permitting process, worked with the town um, to obtain uh, access rights, I guess, into the access road so that we could have um, the project driveway or ac access, access to that project be from the access road down to the light rather than, um, um, you know, increasing the demand for driveway uh, just a few hundred feet down uh, down street from that intersection. So that that easement um, to the development was granted by the town um, and the the discussion was obviously had that this portion of act, the access road would need to be improved up to the limit of the project so that we could um, 
maintain access from the access road. And in doing so, um, we have improved roadway, we added a sidewalk and um, drainage so that we could pre-treat stormwater runoff. Currently, everything flows from a high point along um, sort of in the central portion of this project flows towards the access road and this flows across and into the abutting properties which are owned by the town of Milton. Um, there is some that flows into Randolph and then um, quite a bit of runoff comes down the access road and into the town properties uh, of which uh, contains a very large uh, wetland um, resource area. So we have since gone out and flagged that wetland along, along the property and along the access road where we're proposing our work. Um, we've noted that there is a, an existing cross culvert coming from uh, a wetland across Randolph Ave, discharges into um, and onto the property here. Um, you can see there's a little head wall right here where the two pipes come in. Um, so that's existing conditions. Um, here is the proposed work. So the, the residential development is located on 728 Randolph Ave. Um, the driveway coming in from the garage and the uh, um, surface parking would be up in this location on Access Road. So the Access Road from, from the intersection, approximately 725 feet or so, would be improved. Um, at the entrance, it, it's the same width of 24 feet. And as, as the existing road comes up, it narrows down, we would maintain the 24 feet all the way up to the driveway. Um, we are uh, proposing some street trees on the, uh, what I would say is the north side of the street, um, full well knowing that um, the existing properties to the south are fully vegetated. Um, adding trees might not be, um, you know, help it, helping out there if we're already fully vegetated. Going into where we have our impacts. So we have storm stormwater improvements coming at three points along the roadway to capture road, uh, stormwater runoff through um, deep sump hooded catch basins into a pretreatment unit and discharging um, to, to the town property adjacent to the wetland. So the two discharge points up gradient or north near the driveway are outside the 100 foot buffer. The one that is within the 100 foot buffer is at the intersection. Unfortunately, we it is the low point uh, on the site and we can't move that or adjust that um, location. So we tried to tie that into the existing head wall. I can get that a little bit closer. Whoops, wrong way. So you can see that. So we are tying um, our discharge point into where the existing headwall is um, for the cross culvert so that we maintain that location and not creating a new one. So it is slightly within the 25 uh, foot setback from the wetlands, but it is in the same location as um, the existing headwall is currently. Um, I would note that I, I looked this evening and um, did not see a DEP file number as of yet. Um, and 
There is habitat located on the town property. So we have submitted to um, natural heritage and are awaiting um, any, uh, any input or response from them as well. Um, and I'm happy to answer any question, any other questions if I haven't touched upon anything. Yeah, uh, Deb, I have a question, but Tom Palmer, you may know the answer right off the top of your head. I know that natural heritage um, it has some land that has been at issue in the past, going back to when uh, the town was trying to put up a, a wind turbine. Um, I, I think there was one section that was deemed to be sensitive to Indian artifacts. Um, and there was, uh, I forget what the name of it, Tom, you know the name of the, the area, don't you? Whether it's uh, um, something quarry, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I just, yeah, you know, there is an archaeological yes. area that's sort of at the other end of the access road. Uh, and uh, the habitat of rare species is mapped right up to the existing road. So I think I would agree with the proponent that they need to notify <laughs> heritage. On the other hand, it doesn't seem like they're into the habitat in any great amount. Um, I would note that I've walked up and down that road a lot, and um, I can't see from the plan where the woods edge is. There's some, I would say the better trees are definitely on the south side of the road, and yes. on the north side, there are places where it looks like the slope is actually just junk pushed up against the road. I think you know what I'm talking about. There's places where that old stable is. It looks like the slope yeah. above the road is basically yeah. trash. Is that part of this lot? It is not. So um, this we stop right where the stables um, property begins. Uh, so I, that, I see. Yeah, we would. Um, we were putting in a small turnaround just so that we made sure that emergency trucks or and if anybody came up here by mistake, could turn around and come back out. That was a discussion we had with the fire department. Um, but this would be uh, gated um, at this location, similarly to where it's gated down at the intersection currently. We would bring that gate up to this location so that um, the access road could be still used. I believe um, ga gas company has rights to go up there. Yes, they do. They're, they're actually they go every day. They're just about. Yep. So so they'll be uh, wanting to maintain that access. We wanted to make sure that that was um, still maintained. It's just the gate instead of being down at the light will be up here. Um, okay. You know, um, I would ask, who needs to have a gate there? Um, I can double check our notes, but that was a discussion that we had with um, the zoning board as well as the fire department. And I will have to, we've just always, in all our discussions, they said move that gate that we have down here, obviously would have to get moved up to this location so that we can allow the residents at the new development to, to come and go out of their driveway. So I can. Are, are you have you noticed? 
I, yeah, I, I'm just sort of leaving that aside. It's just, it's my own curiosity why there needs to be a gate there. At any rate, where, where that road comes down from higher up, a lot of water does run down it, mm-hmm. and there are places where it uh, freezes. And um, I wonder if your stormwater system is designed to take the runoff that's coming down the road beside the stuff that's coming off your own lot. Um, yeah, we analyzed it from a high point so that these catch basins, um, obviously we can't, we weren't extending up into um, farther yeah. past, um, but this would be much better than in actuality, this area right here where you're talking about would be one of those areas that I would suspect freezes. I haven't been out there yeah. when it's frozen, but I've seen, you can see sort of where it's breaking out on the side of the road and kind of cutting yes. gully, gullies. Right. Um, so, so we have curbing now and would have appropriate catch basins and we have a slight high point here. So these would be the two major catch basins that would be catching the low point, which is what we have naturally here in the road now and would discharge that out. And then we've just added additional ones, um, to capture the stormwater from the road, not just uh-huh. the not just the expansion of the road it would be for the 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 road itself yeah i i get it that's appropriate i think i would wonder though i don't know myself looking at the plan how many trees you're going to be taking down along this area and on which sides so i i'll double check but i we have a tree line right here so we're right on the edge of the tree line here i do believe there's utility poles that come right along the edge of the road so in reality we've limited um any type of clearing along the road it would be just where we have to come in for the two uh you know for the three discharge points um let's see i had a that's so this one shows our erosion control line. So you can see where the bump outs would be. Those would be the areas in which we'd have to come into the tree line. Uh-huh. We we worked pretty hard to try to um improve the grade that we have on the access road without um impacting the grading, especially on the south side um, of the roadway. Uh, thank you. I I think I understand the project. I think we ought to do a site visit, of course. Deb, can you tell us, um, I, I see what I think of the, the old stables. Uh, yes, up here. Can you, yep. can you tell us how far away, there's a certified vernal pool just on the other side mm-hmm. of that property. I think it was Mr. Zarella's property um, uh, that nice. we actually were involved in a number of years ago. But I don't know what the distance is. I, I'm I'm sure it's more than a hundred feet, but I I'd like to know. Okay. Confirm um, it's more than hundred feet. Yeah, I'll have to confirm that for you. I can definitely get that information. I'll track that down for you. And you said it was the Zorello. Well, it, it actually was on the O'Neill property. You know okay, the uh, what's the name of the the uh, cul-de-sac road um, off of Pleasant what? Street? Is it Kitty Kitty mm. Lane? Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine Lane. Mary, okay. Like at the end of that road is where the. Uh, yeah, is. yeah. It, I would say that's well over two hundred feet, but I will definitely confirm. I want to confirm that for you. I don't think I have a plan that 
extends that far for us to measure. All right. Um, and also, it, also, if you go, I guess it would be, is that north? If you, if you north, go, yeah, north. that way. Um, that's where the, the animal shelter at least was. Correct. I, don't, I don't know where it's going now. Yeah. But we, we permitted that and we found some isolated wetlands uh, that are relatively close to the road. Um, and I don't know how far away those are. So that's, if you could um, those yeah. on the plan, I, those may be yeah. closer than the vernal pool. Over, overall. Yeah, so I can I can locate those and then um, get an overall so we can have some general distances from that project. I I suspect we're over 100 feet, um, but I will definitely get that on a plan so we can have that for the record. Good. That that would be helpful because my guess is that you are 100% correct. It is more than 100 feet, but I'd like to be able to confirm that. Sure, sure. Could you tell us what you're doing with the stormwater on the actual building site? Um, absolutely. I will. I'm going to zip back here. Let's see if I can find. Okay. So, um, what we have done here is we have a large okay. subsurface a chamber system that's going underneath the surface parking in the back, which will capture the parking lot, the roof runoff. Um, it will go into here first with uh, an emergency overflow that we have tied in here, um, which then ultimately the discharge point would be um, across the street, which is where the stormwater runoff goes now. Um, and we also have a swale um, and in these upper sections, it is a riprap swell for be, due to the steepness of the side slope coming down. Uh, there is a large portion of the stable property or adjacent property here that does come onto this property. So we wanted to make sure that we could capture that and direct that appropriately. So we have pretreatment here. We have additional pretreatment through structures here with a, a, the swale and a depression. And it comes across and discharges here. We've meet... Um, the stormwater standards were, were reviewed with ZBA. And so we've met the peak rate requirements. Um, thank you. Uh, other questions from commissioners? Yeah, Deb, do you know that the, the um, overall dimensions of impervious surface? Um, before and the, after. Let's see. Do I have that in your check? I can definitely get that for you, with regards to um the road or just the entire project. No, the entire project. And actually, okay. I was not looking at the road. I was actually looking at the parking area and the building. Okay. Sure. So parking, parking, and building. I probably have that in the stormwater report, but I did not um, pull that out for this evening, but I will, uh, uh, and so project impervious calcs, impervious calculations. I can provide that, definitely. All right, I, I agree, Tom, we definitely need a site walk, but uh, in, in the meantime, are there other questions from commissioners? Uh, one more about the Randolph Avenue. You say you will tie into the head wall down there where it discharges. What do you mean by tie into? Will you be replacing that head wall? 
will you be <laughs> drilling into it kind of? No, I apologize. Uh, um, I'm just stating that we're locating our outlet next to that head wall. I didn't want to touch the head wall because it's a, a separate, that culvert comes from across Randolph Street. Yeah, yeah, I, I stood there. I I know what that looks like. Yeah. Um, so this is an area where you don't really have room to do much treatment. Um, Correct. Yeah. You will do some treatment, I guess, right? Yeah, so we have the deep sump catch basins, and then we will have a storm scepter pretreatment unit, which will help us with um, sediment and oils, et cetera, prior to discharge. Um, so most okay. of that'll give us our water quality treatment. And so f with regards to groundwater, we're, we're doing that on the uh, 728 property through the subsurface chamber system, and that comp compensates for the overall uh, project. Thanks. Other commissioners, questions? Uh, we'll definitely do a, a site walk, um, but in the interim, how about abutters or members of the public? Questions, comments, suggestions? There's a hand up, I think. Uh, Rob C. You, you, you're, Rob, you're, muted, you're on Rob. mute. You're on mute. Dick, you're still on mute, I think. Yeah, he's on mute. You're off now. Good. Go ahead, Rob. Nope. All right. Other, I, I can't see other, any other hands while Rob tries to work with his audio. Not invisible, Mr. Chairman. No, I, I can't see any with the screen sharing up there. Oh, I can. I will get rid of that. Where my. Come on. I know, Rob, you put something on the chat, but I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, there it goes. There. Thank you, Deb. Now I've lost. Uh, no, there you are. Still can't hear anything, Rob. All right. Well, we're going to have another public hearing because the commission is going to visit the site, and that will be a public hearing. Uh, can everybody check their uh, calendars and see when you're available, starting with this Saturday? I should have dates. Saturday the 18th. We got the 18th and the 25th, and then we're to December 2nd. How about the 18th? I, I'm available. I Tom, you're good with it? Yeah. All right. Arthur, Wendy, Todd. I think I'm going to be good, Mr. Chairman. Okay. Yes, I'm available. Yeah, sounds good so far. Todd? I, I won't be. Okay. Um, Tom's good. Wendy's good. Um, Arthur and I good. So we'll put it on for Saturday the 18th. 
Um, and I'll get the word out to Hans and to Ingrid as well, because we'll have our quorum. So I didn't mean to just go by the fact that you couldn't make it, but um, I, I think we ought to, you know, move with uh, deliberate speed on this. So let's let's meet uh, Wendy. In deference to you, we'll make it eight thirty on Saturday morning, November eighteenth. Okay. <laughs> um, Saturday. Now, uh, Philip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Secret code for the uh, the gate there because we we need to get that gate open, and only a few uh, people know half the code, and you have to be cleared to get the other half. So, can you figure out how to get that gate open? Absolutely. We we've had some problems there before. <laughs> okay, I won't be there tomorrow, but I'll be there Thursday. I'll take care of it. Ah, perfect. All right. So we'll and meet. I'll post the meeting, and I'll post the meeting as well on Thursday. Ah, uh, that's perfect. That's good. Hey, Rob, did did you make it back? Do you have your audio back? No, it doesn't look it. All right. Well, you can be if you can be there Saturday morning, eight thirty. This is the coming Saturday. Um, and I know in the past we've actually parked across the street. I I don't think I should do this, but I'll tell people that I've parked across the street in the school parking lot, the uh, the uh, little kids' school there. And sometimes it's, enough, sometimes it's enough room, as long as the gate is open, that you can park there as well. All right. So, uh, Deb, with your uh, assent, we'll continue this for a public meeting on this coming Saturday, uh, the 18th at 8.30, and we'll meet on site. Okay. Thank okay. you. Great. Thank you very much, Deb. All right. Keep Take care. Thank you. Okay, that was uh, number 10. Number 11 is order conditions, Turner's Pond, Milton Parks Department. I saw Kevin there somewhere. Hi, uh, John, I think I'll be talking oh, about Pete. this. This is Pete Jackson. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Good evening. Good evening. Um, we have completed the, the construction of the Turner's Pond project per the plans and per the uh, order of intent that the order of conditions. Um, but we find with the extreme rains that we had uh, this summer, which made construction difficult, and even after we finished construction, that um, we're getting overtopping of the path, although it's six inches higher than it previously was. The amount of um, drainage that's coming off of Glover School, particularly in the neighborhood of where their uh, play field is, um, it causes the water to back up and overtop the uh, the new path. Um, so far, the path has held up to it. Uh, it hasn't eroded away or anything like that. But um, for the long-term viability, uh, the park department is feels that a um, a trench drain on the inland side of the path to pick up the water uh, coming off of Glover School and um, uh, and being directed underneath the path is the best way to handle the um, the, the continued problems with drainage there. Um, so what we're proposing is to um, construct a 12 inches, 12 inch wide by 18 inch trench drain um, backfilled with uh, with drainage stone. Uh, there will be no increase in the amount of fill um, within the flood area uh, because we will not be replacing any more material than that which we removed to construct the drain. So 
you know, the total amount of, of cut and fill is the same. Um, we have worked with the contractor who built the path and he's given the park department a proposal to do this work. Um, hopefully we could get it done this fall, uh, but if not, it might have to hold over till spring. Are there any questions? So this would be a, a proposed revision to the existing order of conditions, correct? That's correct. It's to the plan and the order of conditions to construct this trench drain, about 250 linear feet of drain. All right. So what I can envision is a, a determination by the Conservation Commission as to whether or not this is a minor revision or a major revision. If it's a major revision, you'd have to uh, refile an order of conditions. If it's a minor revision, and if we so vote, then we can uh, then take a second vote on whether or not to adopt your proposed uh, uh, trench drain and uh, culvert to get the water out of there. Um, what you just said, Pete, makes perfect sense to me. Uh, are there questions from Conservation Commission members? I might add that this drain is exactly the same thing as when we constructed the path uh, 12 years ago or whatever it was. It's the same kind of drain system we put in for areas that experienced the same thing at that time. So it's not a, not a solution that the commission is unfamiliar with. Right, I, re I remember that. In fact, that the, the first one was, I think, down closer to the parking lot on the central left side, isn't it? Yes, yes. And that continues to work well. And there's another one on the um, side, uh, the other side beyond where the beech tree is, you know, coming around the high side there, there's another drain there. And both of them will continue to work um, just fine. Questions from commissioners? Abutters or members of the public that have a question or comment? Tom? Tom Palmer, did you want to say something? Um, no, I, I um, am hoping this happens. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, then uh, I guess we need to make two motions. The first one is whether or not this is a minor revision, which I, I believe it is, to the original order of conditions, so as not to require uh, a new order of conditions. Is, is, Tom, do you make that motion that this is a minor revision? Yes, I'll move this is a minor revision. And I'll second. All right, thank you. Any discussion? Uh, hearing none. Arthur, how do you vote? Yes. And uh, Wendy, how do you vote? Yes. Todd? Yes. Tom? Aye. And I vote uh, yes as well, John Kiernan. So the second motion would be to adopt the revision as, uh, as to described uh, by Pete Jackson and make that a revised uh, order of conditions, and uh, uh, the the plan would have to be submitted, uh, and that would be the new approved plan with the addition of this trench drain and uh, culvert. So moved, Mr. Chairman. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, Todd. Uh, any discussion? Hearing none, Mr. Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, uh, Wendy, how do you vote? Yes. Todd? Yes. Tom? Aye. And I, John Kiernan, vote aye as well. Thank you. That's done, Pete. You're all set to go. Thank you. Thank Mr. You. Chairman and Phyllis, yes. there, there are some people in the waiting room who are waiting. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Hold on. Thank you, Phyllis. Sorry right. about that. I think we're, I think I we're good on turn as well. Sorry. Thank you, Commissioners.
All right, I, th I think we're good on Trina's Pond. Uh, thank you, Pete, for your presentation. Uh, next on the uh, agenda, is, is there actually, now we've got two agendas. Um, and one of them has a blank 15 and the other one has a, a name in the 15. But, um, oh no, we've got to get to 12 uh, first, which I'm sorry. That's uh, 117 Fuller's Lane. I didn't mean to skip that one, sorry. Do we have an uh, Good evening, call? Commission. I'm here for 117 Fuller's Lane. Oh, great, Mitch. Thanks for being here. Yep. What can you tell us? Okay. So uh, my name is Mitch Maslank. I'm with Goddard Consulting, wetland scientist, representing the applicant, Patrick Curtin, for a uh, proposed addition project, as well as a deck and proposed pool and patio. Um, I can show my screen, show you guys the revisions that were made. Um, if I was able to um, share. I'm going to make you a co-host, Mitch. Awesome. I, th I, thought the, I thought the last time it worked better when you just hovered over his name and allowed him to screen share. I think I, I, I have. I think I'm good, actually. I got it. Oh, good. All right. Perfect. I think I'm better right. if I'm a co-host, John. Perfect. All right. Thanks, guys. So um, last time we had discussed this project, it was on site. Um, commission members were all over, and we discussed the proposed uh, deck in addition and um can you guys see the screen actually yes we can yeah. Thank you. Okay, it's, it's great though if you blow it up just like that yep okay so uh, one of the concerns was the the wetland delineation um it crept into the lawn um so originally there were some areas where it was flagged within the lawn and when the commission was out there there was some clear signs of soil saturation um so the commission asked for me to adjust the wetland boundary so i dug test pits and found the extent of hydric soils in the lawn and where the saturated soils came up to. And I, I hung new flags. So this faint green line, that's our new wetland boundary. Um, and this darker green line, that's the edge of lawn. So we have edge of lawn and then we have the wetland boundary uh, extending into the, the lawn there. So that pushed our 25 foot no disturb buffer zone closer to the house, uh, which added some uh, site constraints for the proposed project. Initially, we did have a deck already creeping into the 25-foot buffer zone. Uh, so it did push the 25-foot buffer zone even closer to the house. So uh, the, the proposed deck was reconfigured to stay outside of the 25-foot buffer zone. So that was one of the commission's main concerns was uh, making sure that no proposed work or structures were proposed within the the 25-foot buffer zone. So uh, we had the architect look at the plans and discuss with the homeowner, Patrick, and on what they could potentially do to redesign their deck and additions and patio space to stay outside that 25-foot buffer zone. And this is what they've come up with. They have a proposed deck shown in the orange here that's been reconfigured so that it's outside the 25-foot buffer zone um, nothing's changed with the garage or the front addition or this addition or the porch. The patio space did need to be shifted back closer to the house. The pool uh, was reconfigured. And so overall, less, um, less disturbance in the buffer zone and no more disturbance within the 25-foot buffer zone. So uh, we believe that had addressed all the commission's concerns. Uh, let us know if you guys have any follow-up questions. 
Uh, first of all, thanks to you and to the the homeowner because you, you actually did what we asked you to do. Um, secondly, I've got a, a question about the proposed pool, I, and I can't remember if we talked about it, but is that a uh, cartridge filtration system so you're not discharging water? Most new pools are. I'm I'm gonna have to ask if Patrick's on. Uh, Patrick, are you on? Do you know what the pool is gonna have? Yeah, we actually haven't gotten to that design um, level of detail for uh, the pool project at at the moment, but whatever would be uh, preferred, we can definitely make sure that we do that. Yeah, it, it's pretty easy. The older style pools would uh, backwash, and yeah. they'd empty chlorine or bromide or whatever the you know the chemical component was, and people were kind of dumping it into the wetlands. So we have a very strong preference for the uh, the closed systems that operate on cartridges. And most pools are made that way now, anyway. So it's it's not a it's not a cost issue. It's not a design issue. It's it's pretty easy to accommodate. Um, but we we would that that would be a condition that you not uh, backwash or discharge pool water that's chlorinated into the wetlands. Absolutely. Um, and we for the public's benefit, we've been to the the property a couple of times, um, and although we haven't seen. Uh, you know, we haven't inspected the new flags. Uh, they look ballpark to where my memory is as to where we thought they would be, uh, because that was a, a lawn area that uh, we thought was pretty squishy. Um, and I know that's not the way you define wetlands. I got it. <laughs> uh, but I, I we appreciate you doing that and uh, appreciate you changing the design of the house as well. Questions from commissioners? Anybody? I can't see hands raised. I, I don't hear anything. Tom, I can see you. I can't see anybody else. Chairman, I just add uh, a gratification of your comment uh, relative to the uh, adjustments to the plan based upon what the commission requested of uh, the owners. And uh, this looks just uh, very, very responsive to our requests and advice. Thank you, Mitch. I just had um, one one quick question. Um, the pool, from my understanding, is going to be a separate um, building permit application. With respect to the, the Conservation Commission's potential approval of, of this design, is there a certain time limit that we'd have to begin construction on the pool for the existing approval to um, be valid? Or is there a certain time where after that we'd have to go, go back to you guys for another approval? Well, I, I thought this was on your order of conditions, but is it just on the plan and not on the, I, I'm sorry, I said order of conditions. I meant uh, notice of intent. If it's not on the order of intent, you might want to change it. Oh, but but the answer to your question is yes, if you, it would still be jurisdictional uh, if you, if you put it in. So if, if it's not part of the current notice of intent, then you you would have to come back. But you could revise this one to add it because it, it looks to be properly located. And as, again, as long as the, you're not discharging the backflow, we we generally approve the pools. The only time we yeah. get concerns is if you're on the side of a hill and, and there's lateral pressure issues, but you know, not on that kind of a hill. So the the pool was included in the the notice of intent, and um, and I think Patrick, just to maybe clarify for you, you'll have three years from the issuance of the order conditions to 
complete your project. So that, that'll give you plenty of time to get the building permit and settle all whatever else matters you need to settle before installing the pool. And if you need more time, you can get a order conditions extension. Yeah, Patrick, people do come back to us and ask for extensions and we, we generally uh, extend them. But be careful, watch, watch your calendar because it does expire in three years. Yep, absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. A any questions from commissioners? I I don't uh, see or hear any. How about abutters or members of the public? I don't see any hands, and I certainly don't hear anything. Uh, so with that said, is there an, a motion to issue the order of conditions uh, to accept this plan and, and the provisions I see the light purple line is the erosion control, and that would be pretty serious. I'd like to have a like a pre-construction meeting so that you sit down with a contractor um, with Steve Ivis. Um, not a big deal, but it just gives us an opportunity to you know make sure the erosion controls are in the right place. And Patrick, for your benefit, and Mitch, I know you already know this, we do have standard conditions, and that is you can't store um, hydraulic equipment, power equipment, within our jurisdiction overnight, um, and you can't refuel them within our jurisdiction. But I, I I don't think that's going to be a problem for you. But it just, it wouldn't be for you. It would be for your contractor as to where that storage took place. Sure. Any other special conditions that, that folks have? I know, uh, Tom, this is an area that you were very interested you know, way out back as to whether or not the, there was a stream. Yeah, there. well, I have to give Mitch credit for getting back there to look for the back lot line, as Arthur suggested. And I went back there, too, and uh, what I was looking for was Cunningham Brook, which does go through there, but there is very little gradient. So there's like no... When we went back, we started to see a flooded area in a deep thicket, but we did not see movement of water or a channel. And we heard a guy on the other side with a whacker, and we shouted out for him, but he didn't respond. At any rate, that is a formidable mucky swamp back there. And um, I guess I had to be a little more ambitious if I wanted to find the channel of the brook. You're, you're welcome to come back and try anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other special conditions, folks? Uh, hearing no other additional special conditions, um, is there a motion to issue the order of conditions? So moved. Thank you, Todd. Is there a, or I, I don't know if you just raised your hand to spoke. Tom beat me to that one. <laughs> okay. So, Tom, you get the motion. Second, Todd? Yes. All right. Any discussion? Uh, hearing none, we go to the vote. Arthur Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, Wendy Carpo, how do you vote? Yes. Todd Hamilton, how do you vote? Yes. Ron Palmer, how do you vote? Aye. And John Kiernan, uh, I vote yes as well. So that's unanimous. Uh, thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you very much, Patrick. Yep, no problem. Thank you, Commission. Have a good evening. All right, thank you very much. Yeah. Good night. Thank you. All right, now next on the agenda is, um, actually the next three, and I, I should make a comment on, on this because 
this is really one project. So the project itself has to be announced um, on the agenda under the open meeting law. Yeah, but we've got you know, the notice of intent, which is 25 Guile Road, Lower Field, and informational 25 Guile Road, Grass for Guile, and Milton Youth Football uh, and Cheer. Um, that's really all the same project. And we don't have to uh, give notice on the agenda anyway of the persons that would like to participate. You can participate just as a matter of public right, which we welcome. But that's uh, that's essentially one agenda item, and it relates to the uh, artificial turf field being proposed by the uh, Milton Parks Department. And just to get the public up to speed, uh, we've had a number of meetings, and uh, we've had lots of robust discussion. A lot of good questions have been asked. Um, everybody has been civil and cordial and well-intentioned and well-motivated. Um, and since our last meeting, uh, Commission, through me, has actually uh, asked for some additional information. And that information, we've asked our consultant for it. Um, and the consultant is Tetra Tech, uh, speaking through um, uh, Sean Reardon and uh, Ron Myrick as well. And we've also talked to the Parks Department, and uh, that's the applicant and uh, their representative, Chris Huntress. And let me just kind of, uh, I'm probably going to oversimplify this, but let me tell the public about what our concerns were and what the questions have been related to. Um, number one was heat. That is, is the, is the field going to heat up the water? And is that heat component going to impact on Pine Tree Brook? And is that going to impact on the Neponset River, where we all know there are cold water fisheries? Uh, and smelt hatcheries. So uh, temperature is one issue. And that um, we'll get to how that was addressed and what the proposal and how the proposal has changed. The second one was whether or not there is going to be uh, some kind of increase in the PFABs, the forever chemicals. And uh, you know what is the level that's acceptable to the EPA and DEP? And is that changing and has it changed? Um, and if there is a, a component of PFAS contamination, then can it be filtered out? And a closely related corollary to that question is, are we going to get plastic into the wetlands, you know, little pieces of, of plastic, different from the chemical contamination, but just, you know, <laughs> pieces of plastic? Um, and what can we do about that? And then we had some other issues about controlling uh, parking uh, in the area, and these are significant. And by the way, let me get distracted for a minute, because somebody asked me last night whether or not if we keep the parking, the cars from parking at the end of Lower Guile Road, are they going to go to the end of, of Gulliver Street? So we have to address that, too, because we don't want to take the cars that are improperly parked in one area of our jurisdiction and put them into another area of the jurisdiction. But it, those are the, the big areas that we've addressed and the responses. And uh, I think the responses have been shared and we've had responses to the responses. The first change, and we've had revised plans and re-revised plans uh, with respect to the heat. One of the ways of reducing the heat is to detain the water, to slow it down, to hold it so it can return to its ambient temperature. So part of that was to instead of taking the drainage under the field and discharging that into an existing drainage pipe that 
uh, discharges directly into Pine Tree Brook. We have a new plan that has now been, uh, and we have the official formal uh, engineering plans that have been filed with us. The water is going to be directed into a, a very long trench that goes essentially the length of the field. Uh, and then will be discharged through five, I'll call them gateways or outflows, uh, into the wetlands. And that will slow this the water down by not days, not by days or weeks. Uh, and certainly will give it a, a long time to return to ambient temperature. Essentially, it's not going to go directly into the brook. And that is in response to the concerns for temperature. Now, we'll have a discussion about that, but that's so far what's happened. With respect to the PFAS, we've had the response from, uh, and we've had discussions about the, 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 the lack of evidence that there'll be any increase in PFAS, uh, keeping in mind that PFAS are everywhere. Um, but the testing that we have so far, the lab analysis, <clears throat> that any PFAS contamination would be less than, I mean, the principle is that there won't be any, but uh, but the testing would be below the anticipated new levels. Currently, the EPA is at 20 parts per trillion. We anticipate that in January, it will be four parts per trillion. But uh, the testing would suggest that it would be below that um, hazard index uh, level. <clears throat> so that that is in response to the concerns about whether or not there will be any PFAS contamination. With respect to the plastic contamination, the actual, you know, tangible pieces of plastic, um, called sometimes called micro shedding, <clears throat> um, what happens to that plastic? Where does it go? Well, the temperature control technique of of, of redirecting the water, not putting it into the brook, but putting it into the wetlands, um, is is the proposal. And for those that think that you shouldn't put anything bad into the Wetlands. Uh, the wetlands uh, basically they perform. It performs as a filter, uh, and we've got projects all over town designed to uh, improve the quality of water and to take out E. coli, uh, excess phosphorus, excess nitrogen. Uh, we've got projects going all over the place. That's the purpose of a rain garden. We have tree filters all over town now, and that's what they're designed to do to filter out uh, of the water. Um, these contaminants. But in this case, we thought further and, uh, you know, some of the concerns voiced by commission members and, and others was, well, we don't want plastic in the wetlands. So what can we do about that? So we went back to the applicant and Chris Huntress, I think, can address this tonight and said, like, how do you, uh, you know, if there is, you know, plastic, you know, where's it going to go? Um, and I know one of the big issues tonight is is going to be whether or not this system is a pervious system or an impervious system. But I, I think there'll be demonstrations tonight that will suggest that this is clearly and demonstrably a pervious system, that the water will drain through the lower membrane. Uh, the shock pad, we've got uh, samples of it. We asked uh, the applicant to submit samples. We actually have the physical piece of, of the uh, membrane, and it is most clearly permeable. We've got photographs. Philip actually has the the uh, sample itself, but we've got photographs that we're going to share tonight to show that it is pervious, that it is permeable, and the water will go through it um, and then be collected, and that water will go into this drain that will go into the wetlands. However, 
uh, a question came up, well, what about the surface water? What if there is, now the water should, it's designed to accept all the water on top of the, of the uh, mat or, or the field. It'll go through and drain down. But if, in fact, we had an extraordinary storm and there was water on top and it went to sheet flow, uh, the question then was, well, how do we capture that to make sure that the plastic pieces don't go into the wetlands? And the answer is we put a filter fabric on the on the brook side of the trench drain. Um, and uh, so the question was, well, that will that capture all of it? And if so... Can we go in and inspect it? Because can we see it? And if we can see it, can we find it? And can we get it out of there? If every five years we have to go out and scoop it out, can we do that as part of an operations and maintenance plan? And the answer is yes. But in further support of that, can we find it and remove it? Um, uh, the applicant came back, and Chris Hunters will address that, that there was this kind of a, I guess I'll call it a sump system, where it can be captured from these outflows. Uh, so that it doesn't get through the filter factor, uh, fabric rather, and it is in a place that is accessible that can be captured and cleaned as part of an operations and maintenance plan. And again, O&M plans are very typical for uh, what we approve and permit. So those are the big areas that we've addressed. We've tried to address it. You know, the plastic issue, the content, the PFAS contaminant issue, and the temperature issue, and then the parking issue. And I asked for the commission asked that there'd be uh, revisions to the plans that have now been submitted to show the split rail fence and uh, any bollards that are necessary to keep traffic uh, away from the brook and the conservation land. Um, and it may be appropriate uh, for the town to consider uh, having some kind of a split rail fence at the end of Gulliver Street as well, so that the illegal parkers don't go from the end of Guile Road to the end of Gulliver Street. The whole purpose of the plan is to encourage people that are using the fields to park uh, at the high school, just two levels up and it's a short walk. Um, so those are the issues that have been kind of circulating and swirling around. And we have accepted all kinds of documentation for everybody, um, all sides and people on one side and the other side in the middle and all over the place. We've got all kinds of data that have come in. And we thank you for that. Um, and so that's just kind of a, an opening as to where we are, what the existing issues are. And I'd ask uh, Chris Huntress if you can ad address the issues that you have addressed since our last meeting. Mr. Chair, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Perfect. Um, well, you've summarized well um, and in quite a bit of detail. So that uh, makes my job easier tonight. But um, I do have a PowerPoint presentation. If I can share screen, I'll take you through some of the updates on the drawings and details. Hopefully we can share screen. <laughs> Phil, can you do your best? I made you a co-host, Chris. Uh, it doesn't seem to work there just yet. Okay. There we go. You got it. Okay. Um, can everybody see the uh, presentation titled Lower Guile Field with a November 14th date? 
Yes, Chris, we can. Perfect. Okay. Um, well, just to introduce the project team again, uh, Kevin Chrisham, uh, Director of Milton Park and Recreation, um, is our client. I'm Chris Huntress with Huntress Associates. And uh, our wetland scientist is Mike Howard. He was not able to join us this evening. And our civil engineer is John Barros uh, with Marshanda and Associates. And I did see John's name um, here as well. So I know John's been able to, uh, to make it in. So uh, the requested plan edits that I'm going to take you through tonight are uh, really threefold. Uh, one is that Sherrod said we did extend split rail fence west to the pedestrian bridge at Pine Tree Brook. Um, and I'll walk you through where that is on the plan. Second, we revised uh, the drainage design, and, and we did a number of things. First, we disconnected the stormwater from the Pine Tree Brook outfall pipes. Previously, the system uh, connected to two pipes that went overland down to Pine Tree Brook, so that those no longer connect in that way. Second, we added an outfall infiltration trench along the northwest edge of the field that would be just beyond the field. <clears throat> And then third, we added a six-inch trench drain and catch basin sumps, again, along that northwest edge, but this would be in the body of the field itself, right at the edge of where the turf transitions into the, um, into the chain link fence. And then finally, we added uh, one more sheet L9 with bike path details. It, the, really, the only detail we added was a gate detail, but we kind of compiled. We had details for the bike path on different sheets, so we just compiled them all, put them onto one uh, one sheet being L9 and added the gate detail. So I just wanted to make sure that you're aware of that. So this is the updated uh, layout of materials plan. Um, the field is outlined in the rectangle uh, that you see here. Lower guile comes in from the left-hand side and moves uh, in a west westerly direction down to the to the kind of southwest corner of the field here. So the extension of the fence is the first thing. We had previously had the fence um, and right here at the 200-foot riverfront, right at the edge of pavement. At the Conservation Commission's request, we now extended that all the way down to um, uh, the, the pedestrian bridge. It goes across Pine Tree Brook to prohibit parking within this um, grassy edge, uh, if you will, this kind of meadow area that's off the edge of the the gravel drive. So we've extended that down in that direction. That's really the only major change to this layout plan. And then the drainage plan. This plan is where we probably did most of our, our edits. Um, I've got to, I'll zoom in in just a minute, but um, what we're going to focus on is this, this edge along here, this long edge where my cursor is. Now this is the Northwest edge of the field and the, the field tips at 1% with a cross slope from a high point over on this side um, down to a low point over on the far side here at elevation 38, uh, right along this edge. Um, this is a cross section. This detail too is a cross section through that edge. So what this represents is, I'm gonna see if I can zoom in on that just a little bit. This is a uh, concrete uh, turf anchor here. This would be the turf field kind of coming in. And this would be the, the four foot chain link fence that you see this, this uh, pipe coming out of the concrete here. We've added this six inch uh, trench drain here, which would run, I've got some pictures of what that would look like as well. Um, and there are three sumps along that entire run. The, the, the trench drain will run the entire length of the field 
the whole field pitches at 1% towards this trench drain. So every, any water that would happen to sheet flow would eventually find its way into this trench drain. The water would then find its way into the bottom of the drain and into these sumps. These sumps have a removable basket with a filter fabric liner that would catch any debris or material um, that happened to get in there. And then this trench drain would empty into the perimeter uh, drains. And I'll take you through that in just a minute. So this is a, a blow up of that. And I apologize for the amount of detail in here, but um, I'll go through it and certainly answer any questions that folks may have. Um, so the field really drains in two halves. There's the upper half of the field here. Again, the high point is down the bottom of the um, uh, down the bottom of the screen here, and it pitches at one percent um, across and to the northwest. So this half of the field, if rainwater were to fall in this half of the field, it would migrate through the turf itself, through the resilient shock pad and the filter fabric and down into the stone base and then get uh, either migrate along the, the top of the stone base or get collected into the um, panel drains. There would be infiltration that we would expect at that point. It would then collect into this midfield collector here and there's a high point right in the middle. So it would travel this way. If it was over here, it would come in and travel this way and then down and across the, the um, northwest edge through this collector pipe and into an infiltration trench along this edge. And that's going to handle, and I'm sorry, if it fell on this side, it would it would do the, the inverse of that and just come over this way and down and around. So this entire field becomes subsurface storage and can handle storm events. And I'll let John go through what those storm events are. Um, but that's how we encourage infiltration and how we uh, store stormwater during um, really any other major events. What we've done that's different now is we've added, and you can see it here, there's a red line here, a trench drain. It starts right here where my cursor is in the upper right corner and comes all the way across. This is that black graded dra drain that you saw, comes all the way across. So it would catch everything that, that happened to go overland or any solids or materials that happen to be in that land flow would move in this direction, get into the trench drain. If the storm was large enough, um, it would eventually overtop this out, these outfall points and go to that outside trench here, an infiltration trench on the outside of the uh, synthetic turf field that is four feet wide and two feet deep with a um, four inch perforated pipe connecting five area drains here. One, two, three, four, and five. Again, so stormwater would back up in the field. If the storm event was big enough, it would top into this infiltration trench. And then that infiltration trench would fill uniformly and it would effectively weep out the top of the riprap stone across the entire way. Uh, and you would be able to get access in to clean that, that trench and those lines through these five area drains uh, that are located along this entire edge. What does the trench look like? Um, this is uh, some pictures, and I apologize, I don't have an exact photo of what it would look like in, in our case, but this would be um, how, where it's typically used in the transition between a, a running track and a synthetic turf field. So it's used quite often in this condition. Um, and you would see this black grade, it would be at an even elevation or top of elevation to the turf. And then the, whereas this is the red track here, um, this would be the concrete turf anchor. And then the four foot chain link fence would be over here. 
And this is the relative size and scale and depth of that trench drain. It's about six inches wide, about eight or nine inches deep, and runs it uh, uniformly all the way down the field at a constant elevation. The picture in the lower right-hand corner is a picture of the sump uh, or the inline catch basin that would be, there'd be three of these along this run. And it's this lower section here that's outlined in red um, that would that would be the home, if you will, to the uh, to the filter basket that would sit down um, as a sump and would collect any solids or debris. Um, you could quite easily pop this um, plastic grate uh, across the top and gain access to that basket, lift it out, clean it, uh, change the filter, and reinsert it. And this would tie into the overall drainage system. Any questions about the trench drain before I go any further? Yeah, does this change in the the mechanism impact on the overall stormwater calculations? No, this actually, uh, and I'll certainly let John address that as we get into stormwater calculations, but um, no, this actually uh, helps improve because it's just additional storage for the existing stormwater that's there. The size of the field didn't change and the amount of rainfall that falls onto it didn't change. So the stormwater calculations didn't change. We're just directing them uh, slightly differently now. Um, but we did, and that's an excellent um, segue. We worked with John Barros, um, with Marshanda. He reviewed um, our drainage design and provided a, a letter uh, at your request, Mr. Chair, that the uh, modifications of the drainage system don't change uh, the analysis that was completed or the calculations that were completed. Um, so we had done that. Some other things that we had been asked along the way, so I included them on this slide. What were the permeability rates for several of these items? The, the synthetic turf, which we've identified as the iron turf made by Greenfields, drains at 13.2 gallons per minute. The shock pad, uh, which we provided a sample of, uh, drains at 12 gallons per minute. And the filter fabric, which this is an image of the filter fabric below, it's a Marathi. 140N, it has a permeability rating of 135 gallons per minute. It's it's intended to be a, uh, an infiltration filter, so you can imagine it's got a high drainage capacity to it, um, but a very small opening size. It's uh, 0.212 uh, millimeters, um, so very small. And for water in this storm system to get to the point where it would top back out that infiltration trench, out that riprap, and, and begin to weep into the wetland, it would have to pass through at least three layers of this um, Raffi filter fabric. So it would be cleaned three times before it actually was able to exit the site. And this is uh, sheet nine, uh, I'm sorry, L9, the bike path construction details. We did add an access gate. Um, so this access gate will be located in two locations. Well, there'll be two gates. Um, one will be at the top of Guile Road that will, um, limit traffic, being able to travel down into Guile Road, and certainly you can open it when you need it, or if emergency vehicles or, or maintenance vehicles need to get down, but there will be controlled access at the top of Guile Road. And then a smaller version of the same gate, uh, Mr. Chair, down by the by the bridge, you would ask that we um, provide an opening through what is the, the extension of that split rail fence for maintenance access down in that location. So we included that gate in those locations as well. But you can see here, we've just kind of assembled details that were on other plans. We've taken them now and put them all into this one sheet so they're easier to reference. But we've got the uh, split rail cedar fence 
we've got the gate details uh, two and three, the bike path paving detail, um, and then the light fixture detail, pole base and, and electric conduit raceways for the pedestrian scale lighting that'll be along that path as well. The balance of the presentation, Mr. Chair, is really just a summary of, of all the plans that we've, uh, the most updated plans that we've submitted. Um, I'll go through them quickly. Um, this is site prep, tells us how we'll break the site down as we begin construction. This is uh, the layout materials plan that I presented uh, earlier with the extended split rail fence. This is our updated grading and drainage plan that we just discussed. Landscape plan, uh, there have been no material um, changes or edits to the, to the overall landscape plan. Uh, construction details, sheet L4, uh, there were no significant changes here with the exception of um, detail four, which again mirrors the uh, cross-section through the edge of the turf here as well that was shown on L2. L5, which is construction details for the uh, synthetic turf field, mostly being field layout and sports dimensions. L6, again, multi-purpose field details for uh, perimeter fencing, safety netting, retaining walls and the like, goalposts, a few other things. L7 is a cross-section through the um, terrace seating that will be built into the hill uh, along the kind of eastern side, southeastern edge of the site, and some stairway and handrail details. L8, the proposed sports lighting, photometric plan, and layout locations. And then L9, again, the bike path details. A couple of quick images of what we expect the finished product to look like. This would be in the seating area looking down towards the, the bike path. And you can see that we've added and extended the split rail fence down this edge as well. And then overall kind of looking back down and over at the site. So with that, Mr. Chair, I can, I can stop here. I can stop sharing screen or I can leave it up for a little bit if the commission has questions. Some of the questions might refer you back, so why don't you leave it there temporarily. Um, uh, thank you very much for that presentation. Commission members, uh, any questions? I have a question, Mr. Kiernan. Of course, go ahead. Um, Mr. Huntress, could you, could you please um, go into detail about um, what is necessary as far as a, own an, an operation and maintenance plan for the town, um, particularly to. with respect to the new additions of the um, the drainage trench and the um, um, what did you call the the yeah, little the catch basins for the particulates? The area drain, sure. So, as part of our stormwater report, um, I'll hold up here. Um, which was submitted originally back in, whoops, sorry, hitting things while I'm moving along, there we go. Um, as part of our stormwater report that we submitted back in March, in the back few pages include an operation and maintenance plan, long-term pollution and prevention plan, proposed construction stormwater controls, and, and that includes in it a lot of things, but there's a summary of maintenance requirements, and I'll just read those uh, quickly for you. Um, specifically with regard to catch basins, uh, all catch basins, which I would expect this trench drain would be treated similarly, inspected four times a year and cleaned once a year. Um, the turf field from a 
drainage and maintenance perspective, inspected once a year and cleaned as necessary. It would actually be cleaned more often than that. Um, but from a drainage and infiltration perspective, it would be checked annually. Trash removal inspected um, once a month and cleaned as necessary. Roadway and walkway sweeping is once per quarter, so four times a year. And then the plan goes through additional detail and breakdown with regard to inspection maintenance logs and what's required there, proposed BMPs and corresponding O&M requirements, including, again, the roadway and walk sweeping, trash removal, catch basins, and the synthetic turf field. Um, does that answer your question? Um, which, I guess my, my question is how much of an incremental increase is there in time and expense that's required of the town to operate and maintain this with the addition of the, uh, the trench and the um, additional basins? Oh, um, none. Uh, it is, it's insignificant. The, um, the trench train will be easily accessible along the edge of the field. There'll be three sumps that can easily be popped with, you can pop the, the grate with a screwdriver and just get down your hands and knees and pull the, um, uh, the filter basin out and clean that. And it's really not a, an issue. And the rest of the system you would have had to maintain and, and, uh, you would have had to maintain that drainage system regardless one way, you know, whether it connected directly into the the, uh, the existing pipes or whether it, it drained the way we have now. So I don't think we've added any any real maintenance to the to the system. So what what would happen? <clears throat> what would happen in the event that the town is unable to keep up with the operation and maintenance plan? What would happen? Let me uh, let me get back to the the drainage plan. Um, it's really not that complicated system. This system, everything under the field itself, is a closed system, meaning only stormwater can get into there. Uh, can get into the subsurface drainage system under the body of the turf itself because it's mm -hmm. got to pass through multiple layers of that filter fabric to be able to get down into there. So you're not going to get contaminants or debris necessarily in the subsurface drainage system or in the pipes underneath the turf field. Um, the trench drain itself that runs along this edge, I guess, could get uh, filled with leaves. It could get filled with uh, debris or if it did, but you could easily pop that trench drain and clean the entire thing the whole way along. The only area that that may require more maintenance would be this infiltration trench on the outside of the field. I'm gonna to go to the detail, that might be easier to see it. That um, would be on the outside of the field here with the um, uh, perforated pipe. This actually works as a, this whole trench works as an outfall system for the drainage system in a larger storm event. So stormwater would come into this, these area drains leach into this fill and then seep or back up if you will to the point where it would exit out the top of this riprap and then into the wetland system in this way. This is uh, about two feet higher than the um, 100 year flood elevation. So the contour is actually, you know, great away from this. Um, so this would be the only thing that might require any real maintenance over time that may just require you to look at vegetative growth and, you know, leaves or other debris that, that go on the top of the riprap that may otherwise 
uh, inhibit that infiltration, but I don't think it's uh, significant. Did I answer your question? Um, well, I, I suppose, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, in my mind, this, this seems, you know, kind of, um, um, kind of similar to the, the gutters on your house, right? And if the gutters on your house are, are clogged up with, with leaves and they're not going to be operating the way that they need to do to, to keep the water off of, of your house and prevent ice dams and flooding in your basement and everything else. And, you know, my, my concern is, is that if, if the town for whatever reason or the whoever is contracted to maintain these systems is unable to do so, then the, um, the problem is that then the, the pollutants and the particulates are going to end up in the wetland and in the brook. That's my concern. Okay, um, you know it's a it's a valid concern. I, the only the only way I could see that happen would be complete complete negligence of the maintenance of the system altogether. Um, and quite frankly, this synthetic turf field requires a much fewer hours in maintenance than the natural grass field would have to to keep and maintain. So from a from an employee hour perspective, from a cost perspective. It's cheaper to maintain this field than it would be to maintain a uh, the existing field that you've got out there. So, um, you know, I might defer to, to Kevin um, Prism if you're here, Kevin, talk about maybe the manpower and commitment that the town might make to to continue to maintain that. Um, is Kevin with us? I am here. Hi. Hey, um, Kevin. Yeah. Could you respond to that, yes. Kevin? Yes, so Wendy, um, if we're going to go through with this project, which I think we are, I mean, I hope we are, um, obviously the park department will make sure that this would never happen, that any negligence would ever happen down there. Um, there's too much money invested from the town that we would ever, ever let this happen. I, I understand that, that that is everyone's um, intention. Certainly, um, but but my my concern is is that um, if these best best intentions don't happen, um, that the from what I'm understanding, it's not going to cause harm to the field. But I believe that it would cause harm to the wetland and the brook. And, and, you know, my, my worry is, is that there's not going to be enough opportunity for, um, for us to, to see what's happening um, in the worst case scenario um, until it's too late. You would see it, um, you would see it actually quite easily. So the only place that this field could fail would be right here at this trench drain just because of the way it's designed now again this whole system the whole turf system that's that's up slope if you will of that trench drain drains vertically through its profile drains it i think that you know the 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 slowest part of the system drained at 12 inches per hour which if you know which is an incredible amount of drainage 
So water is going to make its way into this uh, subgrade. And once it does that, it's in a closed system. So this system, and very seldom, if ever, in doing this for 30 years, have I seen a sub-base system, a drainage system under a turf field uh, filled with debris. Um, I have seen stone clog over time or filter fabric clog and have to get repaired uh, at the replacement time, but but never have I seen that sub-base not be able to, to hold water. So where it would fail would be right here in this trench drain. And you would see that along the entirety of its edge. I'm just going to uh, go to the next screen here. Bear with me a second. And it would be this trench drain uh, that would fill with debris. This is the only way that I can think of how this drainage system might fail or where a failure would be. Yeah. It would be that nobody ever cleans this trench drain and it clogs. And nobody ever comes in and cleans out these sumps. And it would back up um, through this system. And again, I don't expect you're going to have overland flow here, but if you did have overland flow in a condition when this trench was filled, it would top over this wall and go into this infiltration trench and then again go into the ground uh, through here. And it might help to hear from John Barrows. We can ask John to speak for a little bit about the the, the intensity of the storm events that are captured through this system and when we might accept to, expect to see kind of outfall coming into these um, these different pipe systems. Uh, John, are you here with us and available? I'm here, yes. Um, I just want to add uh, one thing about the O&M. Um, you know, the, the O&M requires that logs be filled out and submitted. Um, you know, I, I would imagine they could, you know, you, you could require to be submitted to the TPW um so you know it's 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 not something that just would be forgotten about um if it's done properly um you know there should be somebody filling out a form um you know quarterly uh and then you know submitted back to to the appropriate person at town town hall um so it's it's, it's not something that would just get be you know be forgotten about i guess is what i'm trying to say um as far as the uh, intensities go, we you know we use the uh, the, the Cornell um, uh, Atlas uh, storm events for the for the uh, uh, for the design and the uh, calculations um, because the the, the uh, field is basically pervious. We're we're not going to have a tremendous amount of uh, uh, runoff coming off the field. Um, and, you know, as we said in, in, in the letter, um, the you know, the letter that came out today, the review letter, it doesn't really affect the numbers that we came up with um, uh, for the, in the report, in, in the stormwater calculations. Um, it's actually an improvement. We, we didn't get into, you know, what the improvement would be from what we came up with in the original calculations. Um, but, you know, you're adding uh, additional um Stormwater control with um, you know uh, crushed stone you know uh, volume um, and some additional capacity. So uh, the addition of that would actually improve on the numbers that you know we've uh, we've come up with. Um, just to, to give you an idea of um, you know what we came up with, and it, it's in the report. Um, we, we don't see 
anything coming off uh, the site in a two-year event, uh, the the post uh, condition in a ten-year event would be slightly reduced, like 0.2 CFS. So again, very little coming off the site, um, and that's that's the entire study area too. That's not just the field. Uh, the field would even be less than that. Um, and then the 25-year event, it's knocked down from a 1.3 CFS outflow to a 0.6 CFS, which is a very, very small amount. And then in a 100-year event, um, you know, we're knocking it down from what we think is the existing conditions of about 3 CFS, and we're knocking that down to about 1.1 CFS coming off the site. Um, so, um, yeah, those, those are the numbers we came up with uh, when we did the original uh, design uh, for the site. And, um, um, yeah, again, I, I don't see any, any large outflows, you know, uh, from the field. Uh, it's, it's just being, you know, basically a pervious surface um, that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see a big impact, uh, you know, coming from the site. Hey, John, can I ask you something? I don't want to mess up the screen sharing, but uh, you've mentioned pervious uh, surface a couple of times. And uh, we, the commission, had asked for a sample of the, at least the shock pad component of it. Uh, and I know Phil, Philip Driscoll's got a copy of it, but is that something you've got? Or, Philip, can you share that? So we, when you say pervious, I'd, I'd like to take a look at what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, Chris, you, you must have something with the cross section of, of the materials of the uh, field. I, I'm. Uh, no, we we actually got a, a sample uh, today. Uh, Philip, are you able to put that picture that you shared with the? Uh, let me see. Hold on. This might take a miracle. Hold on. I might be able to find it. It's probably easier for you to find it, Chris. Tom Palmer, you're pretty good at sharing. Did you get the picture from uh, Philip this afternoon? Um, yeah, I did. I can open that email and take a look. I just found it. You, you got it, Chris? You got it. So this is the manufacturer's website where they talk about it, but this is an image of the, the pad itself. Each of these sheets is about uh, four feet by eight feet, about the size of a piece of plywood. And it's got this channeled system on the bottom that allows water to, to move, you know, both uh, laterally and, and uh, uh, or back and forth, if you will. And it's got these penetrations throughout. And then each of the seam, there's a separation of about um, a quarter of an inch around uh, the pads itself. So this pad drains at approximately um, 12 gallons per minute. Let's see if they've got, yeah, they're showing how it works there a little bit. 
All right, the, the photo that that um, Philip had it actually shows it up close, and you can see those those yeah. holes in it where the water drains. So, so as far as you know, our calculations, we, we you know we made the assumption that um, the water would penetrate through the you know components of the field into uh, uh, you know existing uh, subsurface, which would be you know of course into into the gravels below it. Um, and then into the existing uh, subsoils, which would, you know, infiltrate. Uh, All right. Um, thank you very much. Let me let me shift gears a little bit because I, I know uh, there there are some folks that would like to be heard. But um, Sean Reardon, would you or or uh, I mean, I think it was your original suggestion that the water be diverted from the pipe into the the wetland area in this trench drain. Um, do you or or uh, uh, Ron Myrick? Do you, do you uh, Ron from the hydrological perspective and Sean from the engineering perspective? Uh, does this do what you suggested? Yeah, the proposed trench drain. Most importantly, it 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 puts the wetland in the twenty five foot no disturbed zone between Pine Tree Brook and the project. So basically. The old solution had a direct connection to the infrastructure, so it would just be sort of like the express lane to Pine Tree Brook, whereas now what we're doing is we're sort of interceding that that connection by 200 feet of wetland and 25 feet of um, vegetated buffer. So huge, huge, huge benefit there. Um, I can't state this enough. We don't anticipate that that trench drain is going to see any water except for the most extreme events. So you know, it really is a belt and suspenders approach. And hopefully to sort of allay some of Wendy's concerns is this system relies on one key thing, which is gravity. As long as gravity is working, it's gonna drain properly. So unlike your roof, which is, which is impervious, so water runs right off of it, this field is completely pervious. So the water runs straight down through it. So you're not accumulating water in any, in any case. So you really don't have to worry about sort of a, a, an apocalyptic scenario where a bunch of water is accumulating and it's not able to get treated the way it needs to. In this case, as long as gravity is still working, that water is going down through the filters that that the field provides and it's going to work all the time, even, even if there's egregious um, you know, lack of maintenance. This is, this is something that's going to work all the time. All right. I don't want to ask an impolitic question, but Ron, your expertise is in hydrology. Do you do you agree with that? My expertise is more on the environmental. I think Sean, you know, addressed my education goes back to hydrology a little bit more. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I defer to Sean on that discussion. He's he's a civil engineer, and that's uh, that's his his thing. So. Um, but I'm here to, to answer any questions on the environmental side of my assessment in that area. All right. Well, in, in that area, does this does this uh, revision to the plan uh, accomplish uh, an environmental benefit? I think it provides the benefit. Uh, I, I think the original design with the water flowing down in through the filter fabric, the Murafi fabric, and then going in the subsurface, uh, was probably sufficient. But adding this provides some additional protection for what might be liberated due to a heavy rain event. All right, thank you very much. Uh, commission members, questions, comments? 
Hearing none, uh, seeing no hands, we can move on. And I know that, uh, Paul, I always pick on you. <laughs> so sorry for that. But you can kind of organize uh, those that have questions or comments from the, the neighborhood group. Okay. Thank you very much, John. Um, we're going to have to, uh, Phil, I'm sorry, we're going to have to do this to you again. Um, we were wondering if you could share with um, Catherine Simpson. She, um, there, We have a, a couple of people speaking um, and so Catherine is going to sort of oversee the 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 flicking of the, the the tiles. So we have to prevail upon you one more time. But you know, well, we have just a minute at the beginning. Um, I, I think that, that for the sake of accuracy, it sounds like, uh, particularly for those people here who who are not familiar with a lot of this stuff, it seems like the idea of a pervious or an impervious surface is one that we can just define here. One of the things, one thing that is important that we should note is that according to the EPA. And artificial turf is, in fact, an impervious surface. And I know people have said, well, yeah, but, you know, it's it kind of is pervious. We can see stuff going through it. So we actually um, wrote to the EPA today to ask them. Um, and we got hold of Newton Tedder, who is the senior permit writer for the EPA region in uh, New England. And he said uh, that he pointed out, as we pointed out, that uh, according to the EPA, um, artificial turf and compacted gravel and soil um, are considered impervious surfaces. Um, Mr. Tedder wrote, there is no provision to rewrite or object to this definition in the MS4 permit context, unless the artificial turf includes the ability for water to infiltrate into the natural soil and is not collected and discharged. Then the site design of uh, stormwater controls needs to treat the artificial turf as impervious surface. And in point of fact, this whole program, this whole system is set up to do just that, to uh, to collect and discharge water. So in point of fact, uh, we can talk about whether or not some of the water will go down or not. But as far as as far as the EPA is concerned, this is an impervious surface. And I think it's important that we mention that, particularly as, we, as I said, we have people here you guys are you know the tetra tech guys are way ahead of me in terms of all this it's way over my pay grade but and and i uh is a sensitivity to other people who are watching that they don't understand that 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 this is an important distinction and it is in fact a legal one so anyway john um we're going to start off cat catherine burak is going to start off and she's going to introduce our speakers thank you very much and if someone could please make me co-host so i can share my screen this is Catherine Simpson. The problem, I is, my, the problem is my iPad died, my um, computer died, and I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. Um, do you know if if I was ever made uh, a co-host? I'm not sure. I'm trying to get into my on my home computer, but I can't get in yet. What do you want now? I'm on my iPad right now. Hey, Philip or uh, John, if you, if you want to make me a co-host, I can make uh, others' ability to uh, share. But I, I don't know who's talking. I can't. I this can't is, uh, sorry, this is Turfit. I'm the guy with the blue suit. Or you could oh. just make me co-host and then share. Or Catherine, yeah. That's yeah, but that's the, pro that's the problem. He's not able to make anybody a call. I think anyone, right. whoever's the host right now can do that. Philip is. Right, but my, I, my uh, laptop died, unfortunately. It says Arthur Doyle is also a host. Oh, all right. Awesome. So he uh -huh. can just, all right, Mr. If Doyle. You can just hover over my name. There should be three dots. 
perfect. Sorry about this. And Can you do that? While you're at it, there's some people in the waiting room waiting to get in. A lot of pressure on you, Arthur. I know. Sorry <laughs> to put it on you. Awesome. It worked. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Thanks, Thanks Arthur. Hey, I, I'm, hello, my name is Kate Burak, and I just have a question before I begin about we didn't get a chance to see any of this new filtration system before tonight. Um, would we be able to ask questions about um, what will happen if the infill freezes up, um, what will happen in the snow? We have a lot of questions. The, the example you showed us, Mr. Huntress, was out in the open, it wasn't near a forest. So a lot of trees, a lot of debris will be falling on that. There's a lot of things to, to think about. So we'd like to ask questions later, but we do have a presentation prepared um, based on what we knew leading up to tonight. We don't, we didn't know this other stuff was happening because it wasn't in the file um, 12, 48 hours in advance. I would like to begin by talking about the Milton Wetlands Bylaw. And what it says is that the applicant shall have the burden of proof that the work proposed in the application will not alter the wetland. And we argue that it will. Next slide, please. So what does alter mean? This is from section seven of the Milton Bylaw dumping, discharging, filling material. Now here we're talking about PFAS and other toxins, including microplastics that are quite tiny um, and that will come off the turf. PFAS are really, really small and cannot be filtered. Um, the destruction of plant life, heat island effect is gonna be very hot near these, these this field. Um, heat island effect on nearby plants, trees, and the heated water. Changing of water or temperature, biochemical demand, and other physical, biological, and chemical characteristics. So what we're talking about there is heated water from the turf. We measured um, 142 degrees on turf on the upstairs field. PFAS and components, as well as those that evolve from precursor chemicals present in turf components. And we'll talk a little more about that later. And any activity, change, or work which pollutes the stream, not to mention adds more water. It just alters the wetland because it adds more water. This is an impervious surface adding water. It used to be a grass field. Next slide, please. Catherine, excuse me. Sorry to interrupt. But Arthur, would you please let um, the other people into the waiting room, uh, from the waiting room? Okay, thank you. Thanks, so I want to talk about what climate scientists refer to as the precautionary principle. Um, that Article 3 of the United Nations Framework for Climate Change establishes that parties should take precautionary measures to anticipate, prevent, or minimize the causes of climate change and mitigate the adverse effects. It's really important that we think about this with this field. This trench is within a foot of a FEMA flood zone, a 100-year FEMA flood zone. I want everybody to think about that. 
it is important now to think about both the knowns and the unknowns of this project. So what do we know from other fields in the area? Next slide, please. So this, um, before we get started, I want you to, to show you some slides from Piatelli Little League Field, which is just above the field we're talking about. It is also an artificial turf field. To illustrate how easily infill migrates off the field, even without players on it to kick it around, and how easily contaminated water coming off the field might flow between the, the wetlands and Pine Tree Brook. These are the knowns, what we can observe about the artificial turf field. Next slide, please. We are looking at existing conditions on a Milton Piatelli field, and this photo shows how the field behaves during a rainstorm last August. It was August 25th at noon, and you can see there was a very heavy rain that day. Um, and you might remember driving on the Southeast Expressway, there are about four inches of rain on the, on the ground. Um, shortly after that, piles of infill came up to the top, and sorry, it's a little bit blurry, but you can see piles of infill like that coming, rising to the top of the field. Um, these black crescents illustrate how the infill moves in the rain and is swept into piles. Keep in mind that broccoli is lighter than this particular fill. Next slide, please. This is the black residue that came off that field. Can you see it at the top? It's little tiny pellets um, in a, like almost as if somebody threw it down on the ground that washed off the field. Um, this is just outside the fence. This is how storm water will carry it. Please, next slide. I wanna show you how close this is to the field. So this is where all of this is from rubber that washed off the field and it washed over. If you could go back to the beginning, you can see how close this is to the field. Can you, can you show? It's that close to the field and it washed right over the grass. It didn't stop at the grass. It won't stop at, at, at a filter system. It, it, it flowed in a big rainstorm, it flowed. Next one, please. And the next thing I wanna show you is, this is the wetland. I'm going to show you, you see how the wetland water flows directly from the field right into Pine Tree Brook without stopping. Please play that again. That's the field at the top of the screen. You see that water comes without stopping all the way into the brook. There's no stopping it. That's on a rainy day. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. This is on a sunny day. We still have the water coming right off those wetlands right into the brook on a sunny day. So my point is that this stuff will migrate. It will come off 
It'll be swept in a big rain. It'll come off and it'll go right into the Pine Tree Brook. Next slide, please. And it happens in more than one place. Oh, this is the path that is between the brook and the wetlands. And there are many of these little, I don't know what they're called, the streams that come off the wetland and right into the brook. They don't stop for anything. Water finds its way. Okay, next slide, please. The wetlands will be altered. And the wetlands matter to us because we live in a flood zone. They protect us from flooding. Pine Tree Brook will be impacted. Okay, and next slide, please. I'd like to introduce you to two presenters, Kyla Bennett, PhD, an environmental scientist and lawyer, former EPA wetlands official who knows, who is now Northeast Mid-Atlantic Director and Director of Science Policy of Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. Her group was the first to discover PFAS in artificial turf in 2019. And then Kristen Mello, MS, an analytic chemist who has reviewed analytical laboratory reports from testing of proposed synthetic turf projects across the region and country, including the one rejected on Martha's Vineyard by the Oak Bluffs Planning Board. She served on Mass DEP's PFAS Maximum Contamination Level, MCL, stakeholder group. And then a final wrap-up will come from Paul Makashima of Grass for Guile. So I'd like to, to introduce you to Kyla now. Thank you very much, Catherine. No, well, well stated. Thank you. Thank you, Kate, and thank you, Mr. Chairman and Commission, for allowing me to speak tonight. If I could have the first slide, please, and I will be very brief. First of all, just to remind you, the values of wetlands, and this is pursuant to the Wetlands Protection Act in Massachusetts, flood control, prevention of storm damage, prevention of pollution, and protection of fisheries, groundwater, public or private water supply, and wildlife habitat. These are the things that you are protecting as a conservation commission. This project will alter the wetlands and the brook through temperature changes, introduction of pollution, such as microplastics and PFAS, and also harm fisheries and wildlife. Next slide, please. What will this stormwater do to the wetlands? And first, I was also unaware of some of the information that Mr. Huntress presented. I was, it would be very interested to know what the pore size is of the proposed filter fabric, um, because as you are probably aware, uh, the microplastics coming off of artificial turf also become nanoplastics, and some of these are not visible to the human eye. So to suggest that your DPW can go out there and collect these is a little bit beyond the pale. Uh, what will stormwater do to the wetlands? These are quotes from recent scientific peer-reviewed articles, and I have the citations on here later. These are quotes from these brand new articles about PFAS and wetlands and forests. Once PFAS enter an eco ecosystem, they integrate into soil, water, and air transport cycles due to a lack of both PFAS-specific treatment and the high stability of PFAS in nature. In other words, once they go in there, they don't magically disappear. Phytouptake 
does not degrade the contaminant into harmless compounds. Therefore, this method needs to be combined with a PFAS destruction technique, such as incineration of the plant material. In other words, any plants that do take the PFAS up and filter it out, as you say, those are now contaminated, those are now hazardous waste, and they don't just stay there. They will continuously recycle back into the environment. To date, no studies have assessed PFAS accumulation, transportation, and treatment through constructed wetlands, let alone natural wetlands. You are a guinea pig here. Next slide, please. Continuing this, the temperature of stormwater runoff is of emerging concern. Increase at runoff temperatures are a serious threat to aquatic health. These are, again, quotes from scientific peer-reviewed articles. It is not possible that this water will cool down to ambient temperature before it runs off into the wetlands. The videos that Kate showed indicated that. The storms that we're getting with climate change, which are more dramatic, more water, these rain bombs, the bomb cycles, whatever you wanna call them, put a lot of water down in a very short period of time. And there will be sheet runoff off of these fields, which can reach 180 degrees or higher. If you think this is not gonna be a temperature change to the brook, you need to rethink that. Thermally polluted urban runoff can subsequently cause stream temperatures to surpass threshold temperatures, resulting in sublethal and lethal effects to downstream ecosystems. You have a cold water fishery. This increase in temperature is not going to be good. Dissolved oxygen concentrations are directly related to water temperature. In other words, you're going to lose dissolved oxygen in those streams because of the heat, and that is going to be bad for the entire aquatic ecosystem. Next slide, please. What about the microplastics? There is limited research on the migration and transformation of microplastics in constructed wetlands. Microplastics can lead to a decrease in plant leaf and root activity, thereby reducing plant nitrogen absorption and retention. So remember, you didn't tell us what the pore size is of this filter fabric, but these microplastics do break down into nanoplastics. And we are talking literally about hundreds of pounds annually coming off these fields. You can't see some of these. You're talking about the wetlands filtering this stuff. Filter is not destruction. Filter is not a cure. Filter means it gets taken up, it can get bound up in the soil, in the plant roots, in the plants themselves, which can then kill your forest, according to this new article. Microplastics affect the physiological activities of wetland animals through direct toxicity and indirect impacts. Remember, each little microplastic is a little toxic bomb filled with PFAS and other toxic chemicals that will impact not only your plant life, but your animal life. Next slide, please. The wetlands will not destroy, filter, or remove PFAS. The current knowledge of PFAS removal in the wetlands is still in its infancy. The ability of microbes in wetlands to mineralize PFAS is limited. The uptake of PFOS by trees would require 48,000 years and 160,000 years, respectively, depending on which type of tree you're talking about. 
And with the fall of forest foliage, PFAS can reach the forest soil. So if your trees do take up some of this PFAS, in the fall, when those leaves fall down onto the ground, they're going to get into the soil, get into the wetland, and get into the stream. And if that's not an alteration, I don't know what is. Next slide, please. The absence of evidence is not the same thing as the evidence of absence. Because there are such limited studies on the fate of microplastics and PFAS in natural forested wetlands, because we do know that the warm water leaving the field can adversely impact the brook and the fish, we can't just assume that everything is going to be okay. You need to you can't just say it's going to be filtered. DPW can please these clean these out, and everything is going to be fine because that's not the way life really works. You need proof in order to prove the burden. Remember, as Kate said in the first slide, the burden is on the applicant to prove that this harm is not going to occur. It is not your burden to prove that it won't. Next slide, please. I guess that was it. Turning it over to Kristen Mello. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kyla. Thank you, Kyla. Thank you, Chair. Um, so our first slide is actually Kyla in 2019 when they discovered uh, the PFAS in the turf that was bound up uh, in Franklin, Massachusetts. Next slide, please. That's the Boston Globe. So uh, it. They took samples and they had those samples analyzed and they went down into the wetlands um, in the bottom left of this slide. You can see uh, the yellow dot is where the surface water samples were taken. The green dot is where the rolls were laid and where they took those pictures. Um, and this is the data that came from that sample that was coming straight off that turf. Next slide, please. But it wasn't just Franklin in Connecticut and community group took samples, right? They couldn't stop the field, the turf field installation. So they took a water sample before its installation and they took a water sample after its installation. And these are the numbers they got. Next slide, please. Uh, but the data that we've been talking about right, is the data from Martha's Vineyard. That's what we keep talking about where they tested uh, the field turf and they tested um, the Brock fill and the Brock shock pad. So when these when these materials were tested with a synthetic precipitation leaching procedure, these are the results that we got. And you will notice that at the bottom, not all of those PFAS are the regulated PFAS six, but they are all persistent bioaccumulative toxic compounds that are endocrine disruptors everywhere in your food web. Right. So the and and when you when you analyze the effect of PFAS on aquatic organisms, particularly zebra fish, what you will find is that when a pregnant zebra fish mom is in PFAS water, the eggs that are developing inside of the embryo in that mother fish are denatured by the PFAS. So every exposed pregnant fish exposes three generations and these these chemicals accumulate in the environment and recycle just like dr bennett said next slide please 
So the total oxidizable precursor assay was also done in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and the reason they did it is because they could not quantify all the different uh, PFAS precursor compounds, those compounds that when oxidized in the environment or in bodies turn into other PFAS, right, as their terminal endpoints. And so they shoved everything, they oxidized everything they could and measured it again. And um, what I would like to point out here is that your Brock fill and your Brock pad are more of a concern than your green carpet in this particular instance. But we're not really talking about that so much. Next slide, please. But here's the thing, it's not just PFAS, right? So the, why am I always talking about PFAS? It wasn't just PFAS they found in these components. There's the bis-2-ethyl hexyl phthalate, there's the phenol, right? Um, dimethylphenol, we don't want any of these compounds going into the wetlands or into the brook. Next slide, please. So here's the thing about stormwater, and I know you guys have talked about this, but I'm an analytical chemist and we're a little anal, and I'm a little concerned about the fact that an impervious surface is a legal technical term defined by the EPA as any surface that prevents or significantly impedes the infiltration of water into the underlying soil. If you are diverting this water in a stormwater system, it is impeding the infiltration to the underlying soil. You can't get around that. You literally cannot get around that. And here's my big problem. The big problem is that one inch of rainfall on an acre of impervious surface produces 27,000 gallons of stormwater, right? Now that isn't there when you have plants, there are references everywhere. And if, and if, if you have a field that is made of grass, when stormwater falls, some of it gets trapped in between the soil, it gets trapped in the roots, it adheres to the grass, it gets transpired up through the grass. It gets evaporated from the grass later, which has that cooling effect, which is why when you take away the grass and replace it with a plastic tarp, it ends up making a heat island. That is the water that you are adding into the wetlands. And when you add 27,000 gallons per acre per inch, you change the chemistry of the wetlands. And there is no way around that. Next slide, please. So this is your ordinance, and I highlighted in yellow everything that this project does to the wetlands. Next slide, please. And so from your own wetlands ordinance, uh, and, and just, you know, full disclosure, uh, in the town where I live, the city of Westfield, uh, I am an elected city councilor and I'm chair of the Natural Resources Committee. And while I never speak for the city of Westfield, that background informs how I look at your ordinance. And when I look at your ordinance, I see it as two questions. Is the subject area significant to the interests protected by the bylaw? And is there any way you can condition the project in order to protect against alteration of the wetland ecosystem. I absolutely agree that it is significant as you guys have discussed, but here's the problem. The applicant cannot filter out the PFAS. They cannot filter out the microplastics and the nanoplastics. They cannot filter out the phenols. You can't mitigate 
mitigate the increased temperature in the surrounding environment and stormwater because you are removing the plant material that uses the water to cool the area. The, it, it, there is no, that water temperature is gonna be higher. The air temperature is going to be higher because you're removing the plants. You can't get around that. You can't mitigate the, mitigate the increased water volume Right, because you've got this impervious surface and your extra 27,000 gallons per inch per acre. And so it changes the salinity, the oxygen availability, the erosion, the flooding, all of it. And here's the worst part to me. Because you already have a field up there, you already have crumb yeah. rubber and all the toxins from the crumb rubber and all the toxins from the turf and all the heat already going into those wetlands through your stormwater system, right? So you don't have a model as to how stressed that ecosystem is now, and you don't know how much further you can stress it before you have collapse. Every little bit that you change the pH, the oxygen, the amount of water, the salinity, the amount of other, you know, the magnesium, the calcium, the phosphorus, right? Every time you change those concentrations, you're going to change which species can live there. And you're slowly going to change that ecosystem and you will not know until it's too late. And that is my fear. Next slide, please. So I am by training a chemometrician and the patron saint of chemometrics is Yogi Berra. And to paraphrase him, you can see a lot by just looking. So the next few slides are maps and you're gonna see a purpley pink dot on every map that is to orient you. When I type Guile Road Milton Mass, that is the dot that shows up. And so each of the following slides has that same dot to reference your orientation. This is a GIS map of the wetlands, the priority in habitat and the dot. Next slide, please. So this is with your FEMA flood layers added. Next slide. This is your heat anomalies. You'll notice that all that wetland area and the brook is where it's not so hot. Next slide, please. So this is with the heat anomalies reduced to 50% transparency so you can see underneath it and zoomed way out so that you can see more of Milton. Next slide, please. So this is heat severity over that first map. If you rip up the grass, that's above that red orange patch underneath the wetlands on the right hand side. If you rip that up and replace it with plastic, you're going to move that red closer to that wetlands. Next slide, please. So this is zoomed out again so that you can see how it affects the rest. That is your little patch of not so hot in Milton, right? That's your little patch of coolness where that water is. And your last slide, please. And that's where your environmental justice communities are in Milton. Because the decisions you make today affect the temperature there. And temperature and humidity affect pollution levels. And so it's going to affect how people can breathe. Uh, and I believe that's the last slide. So that's it for me. I'm happy to take any questions. Um, and of course, you can reach me by email or text or phone. Thank you. Kristen, thank you very much. That was very articulate. Paul, you finishing? Paul, you're muted. 
Paul, you're, you're we can't, still We muted. can't hear you, Paul. John, that's something I'm not often accused of. <laughs> I bet All that's right. true. <laughs> All right. So, so let's get to the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. We're going to go back to the Milton Wetlands Bylaw. The project cannot, quotes, alter the wetlands or harm the brook, which is a cold water fishery. This means the project, again, we've done this over again, but may not degrade water quality, destroy plant life, change water temperature or other physical, biological or chemical characteristics of the water or pollute the pine tree brook. So we also know, according to the law, the burden of proof lies solely with the applicant. It's not ours to conclusively prove that it will. And we say that that standard has not been met. Tonight's presentation make clear that there are significant levels of PFAS and other toxins in the turf components. There are also substantial amounts of precursor chemicals that will turn into the six regulated PFAS. All of this will add to already existing levels of the forever chemicals in the wetlands, brook, and surrounding soil, along with some that will come from the atmosphere, as TetraTech report tells us, which begs a point we've been wanting to raise. We've noticed there seems to be some confusion about how PFAS bioaccumulation works. Some seem to think that if the current level in the water or soil is higher than the amount being added, the addition is of no consequence. That's incorrect. The situation is more analogous to a steady leak emptying into a half-full tub. It only adds to the total. And before we leave the topic of PFAS, it's worth noting that, as Tetratech said last meeting, current rules focus on PFAS being consumed in drinking water, and that's true. But researchers are studying more pathways in the body beyond oral consumption, and those concerns are being enshrined in laws and tested in the courts now, and it's been true increasingly over the past few years. For instance, this year, more than 195 new anti-PFAS bills were introduced in dozens of state legislatures. Some states have already banned PFAS in consumer products like carpets, rugs, fabrics, children's items, and others. Vermont, Maine, California, Colorado, and Maryland have banned PFAS in cosmetics and in feminine care products. The nation's largest firefighters union is suing to get PFAS out of their turnout gear, owing to their outrageously high rate of occupational cancers. There are about eight bills currently in the Massachusetts legislature that would do all of this, as well as ban turf itself. Maine and Vermont have already, already have turf bans on the books, and California is considering one. PFAS regulation is being toughened at every level, starting with the US EPA down. Tonight, you've also heard about the microplastics the field will shed. As much as hundreds of pounds will find their way into the wetlands and brook, both through the water and carried by the wind. The effects of the microplastics on aquatic life has been well documented. An important consideration given that the cold water, given the cold water fishery and the aquatic life in the wetlands. In fish, microplastics have been shown to cause structural damage to intestine, <laughs> liver, gills, and brain while affecting metabolic balance, behavior, and fertility. And in aquatic invertebrates, microplastics will cause a decline in feeding behavior and fertility. It'll slow larval growth and development. Besides microplastics, though, the field's also going to shed large amounts of the wood infill, much of it which will migrate to the wetlands and brook. And now that presents special problems on its own. The 2021 Martha's Vineyard analysis showed that the wood, in, wood infill had the highest concentration of PFAS of all the components, which is as we'll find a special problem, because according to the manufacturer's own safety data sheet, Brockfield biodegrades in water and in soil. So rain, snow, wetlands, brook, biodegrades. It also noted on the safety data sheet that any potential health effects of the, effects of the infill on fish and birds is unknown. 
That brings us to the risks of heated stormwater to the wetlands and the cold water fishery. Tonight, you also heard something about how the field will radiate heat up to 40 to 60 degrees higher than the ambient air. The plan calls for the system to eventually push the water in the wetlands, and this is a mistake. Because water, as we've said, water goes where it will. And we've, as we showed in our presentation, it streams so freely between the wetlands and the brook that it's carved channels in the narrow path separating the two. That flow strengthens during rains. That water will carry PFAS and other contaminants along with heated water to the brook, which is the cold water fishery. And consider on days with higher temps, the wetlands and brook will already be warm. And there's proof of that. The Deposit River Watershed Association's water temperature report found the brook near the field averaged above 68 degrees Fahrenheit in May to July. Water must remain year-round at temperatures of no higher than 68 degrees for brook trout and other species to thrive. Many people here don't know that, but there are, there's an actually a species of brook trout that is exclusive to Pine Tree Brook. Additional heat and contaminants would add risk. The heated water will also damage wetland life. Sean McCanty, an environmental biologist with the Deposit River Watershed Association, says, quote, using the wetlands as a detention basin for warm water is a bad idea, especially during the early spring when water temperatures are going to be much cooler than the turf runoff, and the amphibians and reptiles that rely on it might be even more sensitive to PFAS and other microplastics that wash off the field. Again, let's return to the Commission's charge. The project may not degrade water quality, destroy plant life, change water temperature or other physical, biological, or chemical characteristics of the water, or pollute Pine Tree Brook. This project will do all of this unless the town can find a way to encase the field in a bubble. And that's not the half of it. As part of these deliberations, we haven't had time to consider how the plastic turf is going to kill all the soil beneath it, how the field is going to disrupt wildlife beyond the fish, how the lights above the field will interfere with bird migration, and how the rising heat off the field will also damage trees and other vegetation on the edge of the wetlands. This is the wrong project for the wrong place. It's an environmentally high-risk project in an environmentally sensitive area. And finally, common sense. Let's just ask ourselves, how the hell does it make any sense in a warming world that you tear up 1.3 acres of grass that cools, that exchanges oxygen for CO2 and sequesters carbon to instill a less than carbon neutral foam pad plastic rug that's going to leach toxins, it's going to off-gas noxious fumes, and literally, literally add heat to the atmosphere. And as an added bonus, every 10 years, this thing needs to be replaced. So the cycle begins again and again, and even more contaminants will be piled on. So what is the town's tolerance for toxins? How long do we wait? Do we wait till, till the, the brook is entirely poisoned? Do we wait till the trees are gone? It's especially troubling because there's a ready alternative, a less expensive, sensibly maintained natural grass that is open, unfenced, and so truly shared by the entire community. Thank you very much, John. Paul, thank you very much. Very articulate. And, um, I think you've done a good job organizing and presenting. So thank you. Um, I, I do see some hands, um, and we'll try to get through this, but I, I will reiterate what I said before. We're going to close the hearing uh, this evening, uh, but because of the reasons I stated, I uh, missed two commissioners uh, who will be duty-bound to, but eager to review the proceedings tonight. And we will continue uh, this matter for a vote uh, next Tuesday at a public meeting, uh, meeting of the Conservation Commission, uh, also by Zoom, uh, beginning at 730. It'll be Tuesday, the 21st of November. But let me look at the uh, the hands raised. Kevin. Oh, hold on, John. Kevin, I, have a, I have a question. Yes. 
we're talking about all the heat that we're talking about all the heat that runs off of this. What about all these asphalt roofs and all these houses all over the town that run water into the brooks? I mean, those roofs are hotter than that field's ever going to be. That's fair point. That's fair and point. All, and all the little pieces and particles that run off all the roof shingles on everybody's house. This hearing's about assessing the field, not roofs in Milton. Uh, I, it's a point that's got to come up because that water runs into a brook. Same thing. All right, uh, let's let's stay focused uh, and get ridiculous. through the discussion. Any other? Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, Todd. Yeah, no, go ahead, John. Uh, um, Kevin, Kevin, me, Commissioner Lower Lower um, Milton Youth Football and Cheers on the agenda. So, do I get a chance to talk? Yeah, uh, I no. I, I, I wait, was hold just going to jump folks. in. Can we have a call hold to on. order and? You yes, know, maybe have a time right limit right on now. speakers. You'll be silent or we'll cut your microphone off. This is going to be run as a public hearing according to the administrative laws of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and you are out of order. Kevin Chrism, you may speak, sir. Thank you, Chair Cannon. Can uh, Arthur, can you let people into the from the waiting room? I'm getting a lot of um, texts and whatnot about people still in the waiting room. Go ahead, Arthur can do that, and Kevin, go ahead. That was my request. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next, I'm just going as I see this. Tom, Tom is your hand up? I, I would call a commissioner first. Tom Palmer, your hand is up? Uh, no. No. Sorry. All right. Uh, Kevin, can you take your hand down? Um, C. McCarthy? I lost C. McCarthy. I took my hand down. Oh, okay. Uh, Mary Fairbrand. Yes. Can I please have um, permission to share my screen? Yes. Arthur, you may have to do that. Can you make Mary uh, co-host? Are you good, Mary? Are you now yep, on? I'm good now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay. Um, all right. I'd like to start by saying that this is the right project for the right time at the right place. Let me just start by showing you a picture. Oh, my screen. Again. There we go. The Milton community is being held hostage by the conservation committee's inaction to vote on the Lower Guile project. The committee continues to delay voting. The requested additional testing has been paid for by the town and completed. Results have been proved to be within statistical standards of safety as stated by multiple experts. It's even been stated for multiple months now, the same information that drainage will be improved. 
Conservation Committee has been irresponsible with spending town money. The shopping for answers behavior and consistent requests for more information needs to end and is borderline corruption. <laughs> the wow. members of this committee were not voted in, but rather appointed by select board to act responsibly for Milton and how to best make improvements for the Milton community. This project has been approved by the town. Funding has been approved by the town. The members of this committee have shown bias by delaying this vote and giving a ton of airtime to non-voting members of this community. To vote in favor of a grass field would further the neglect of Lower Guile Field. There is a sprinkler system that has not been maintained. The ground near each sprinkler head is a hole the size of a grown man's foot that holds water long after a rainfall. This is a safety hazard for our youth athletes that continues to exist and has been neglected for years. And when you let that field sit with all that water, youth of our town cannot play sports and be active, which leads to significant social, emotional, and mental health issues. There are signs around Turner's Pond that say, give grass a chance, stay on the path. How is the town seriously going to provide the quality and financial maintenance of a grass field that is required by over 600 hours of youth sports. We are not asking for a grassy meadow. We are asking for an updated, improved, state-of-the-art athletic field with improved common sense drainage system. It is time to make a vote. How about uh, Tim's phone? Hi, yeah, thank you. I just wanted to, uh, again, Tim with uh, uh, Milton Youth Football and Chair, I'm a volunteer. I, I do feel some of the frustration that Mary has just stated. Um, I feel we, you know, we did do all of our due diligence. We came up with those 10 or 12 questions that need to be answered. Uh, we called uh, Tetra Tech back to answer those for us, which they did. And then at the beginning of today's meeting, uh, we had numerous professionals uh, give findings that, you know, really was unequivocal towards, you know, this turf field has almost zero PFAS. Uh, and I don't understand why people just keep trying to ask the same question a different way when these professionals that we've hired have, have answered them several times, actually. And no one's, they just keep asking and asking, hoping to find an answer that benefits their cause, which, you know, I, I, I support the, the, the will for people to go ahead and, and do that. But at some point, you're going to have to accept the answer. You know, two plus two is four, uh, as much as you might want to have five. So, you know, I guess uh, we'll see everyone next week. But again, we're really hoping to get a vote it has been months and months and months of uh, of families, parents, volunteers that have been waiting for this. Uh, so please take the science in the answers that the professionals have given us, and let's move forward. Thank you all. Uh, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Aisha, iPhone. I may have mispronounced your name, for which I apologize. Is it Aisha? Nope. 
Oh, yes. Hello. Yeah, Sorry. Are. Okay. Sorry. I was just, I was just joining in from Nantucket. We were dealing with the very same situation with artificial turf. Um, and I'd be happy to share information with our school committee or any, any information you guys may have. Um, we actually were having the same, we were looking at the same um, artificial turf that was that proposed at Martha's Vineyard. And it, we, we went with the decision not to use it just because of the PFAS and the litigation that's involved with the PFAS leaching into our sole source aquifer. But I'd be more than happy to share that information with you. And I completely understand everyone's desire to have uh, fields that children can play on. I have two young boys in the public school system. So I, and, and you know, I'm just saying this from um, a liability point of view. My my husband is a firefighter and we've been dealing with a lot of these companies and the PFAS situation and it's it's not pretty. And um, I, I, I'd be happy to, you know, provide more information if needed. But that was my um, input that I wanted to provide was that um, I believe one of the companies, Tenkati, um, that, makes the artificial turf is also what was making the gear for the firefighters and um, they are now currently being sued for the PFAS in the gear. Thank you. Aisha, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Tracy Stewart. Good evening. Uh, Tracy Stewart from Medway, Massachusetts. I am also a volunteer and advocate in the synthetic turf issue across the state. Um, I just wanted to, uh, jumping off of what Aisha uh, just mentioned regarding Tenkade, the, there, there's a group of companies, uh, they're part of the Master Batch Chemical Group, and they are all essentially producing out of the same factories in Dalton, Georgia. So when you talk about Tenkade or you talk about Shaw Sports or any of them, they are all producing materials that contain PFAS in, in one way or another. Um, additionally, I would uh, recommend that you review the Marafi uh, 149N uh, uh, needle punched uh, filtration fabric that Mr. Huntress is recommending because what I'm seeing in their specs is that they contain a UV resistant ASTM D4355. I can tell you that UV filtration chemicals such as UV 328 are on the verge of being banned internationally. So those fabrics, while they're supposed to uh, filter out your microplastics, may be an additional source of PFAS that you are not even aware of. Uh, so th those are the two things I would recommend looking into. And I can tell you that every single drain around Medway High School and our conservation land is full of microplastics. Um, yes, you're looking at uh, Brockville and we have tire crumb, but this stuff spreads everywhere. And I would also question what they tell you to treat Brockville with, not only for mold or, or moisture, but also for uh, freezing. Uh, Mr. Huntress might want to comment on that, but there are a couple pretty alarming uh, recommendations by the Brockville company themselves on how to deal with the freezing of Brockville. Uh, th Tracy, thank you very much. Uh, we're grateful for you calling in. I I don't I don't see. I've got one left, one iPhone, but there's no name other than iPhone. Oh, sorry. This is uh, Brian Doherty, um, a member of the community. I'm a volunteer at Milton 
youth sports. And I, and, you know, I appreciate um, all of the really active, uh, all the activists <laughs> that have arrived at the Milton <laughs> Conservation Committee. It really shows their commitment to fighting uh, turf. And there's been quite a bit of conjecture, um, things that are about to happen, um, laws that are going to be passed. But I, I, I do think, and I think Tim made this point, we have to go back towards what we as a town, we as a community want. We have to go back towards what we requested, which was detailed review from the Conservation Committee on 10 key points. We received answered from an open bid looking for answers to those questions. They were independent, they were objective. We got those answers back. And now we have a very activated, um, very politicized base, really pushing an agenda. And I'm very uncomfortable. I think we have to make a, a decision as a community. This is a Milton decision. It's not a Medfield decision. It's not an Nantucket decision. It's not, you know, various name your expert. This is about our community and the need for our children to have a safe place to play. And I think there's an overwhelming majority of people in this community that want their children to have a safe place to play. We need action. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, Milton Parents. It says Hi. Milton Parents for turf. Can you hear me? Yes, uh, now we can. Yes. All right. All right, Commissioner. I just want to thank you very much. I just want to say um, I've been watching these meetings for, I think, six, seven months now. And I, I want to thank you for the thorough job that you've done. I have four daughters and I've learned a lot about the conservation commission over the last seven months. And I've sat through a lot of meetings and watched many projects. And I truly think that you have the, uh, the goodwill of Milton at heart and you're really trying to do its best. And I appreciate your time collecting as much data as you have. And I think we've kind of reached a crossroads where, you know, we're, we're now debating, over something that people are never going to agree upon. And, um, you know, we're fortunate to be close to Boston. And my daughters have been lucky enough to be playing at Jordan Field at Harvard University for the past fall. And we had a game at MIT and we had a game at Brooksfield at Northeastern University. And these are some of the greatest learning and teaching institutions in the world. And we don't have this opportunity for a lot of kids in Milton. And my girls are very fortunate that they have the ability to get in a carpool and go down to Weymouth or, you know, go over to Fezzedin for their practices. But there's a lot of kids in Milton and youth sports here who don't have the access to these fields. And we have a severe land shortage in town. The fields have been shut down a record number of days this fall because they're wet and unplayable. And there's a huge equity gap. And I, on behalf of youth soccer, have been fighting to try to get more opportunities for these kids. We've had to expand outside Milton's borders to private point 32 health to try to get more playable fields to use. We have a field at Lower Guile that is unsafe and not able to be used. And we have an exploding youth population that needs a field that can handle heavy, heavy, heavy usage. And it's been very interesting to watch the debate. And I think all my questions have been answered. And I think, yes, the PFAS, there's, there's going to be a lot of debates for decades to come, but it's everywhere. And at this point, I just, I don't like the negativity in the town going back and forth. I think we have the information 
And I think the families in Milton over, overwhelmingly support this project. Um, so I just want to thank you for your time. I want to thank, sir, thank, you know, I know this is every night when you see this on the, the agenda, I know it's tough to get through, but I appreciate the time and I'm looking forward to this being wrapped up and hopefully we'll have a beautiful playing field for all kids in Milton to have access to. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Uh, now I, I may be, I know I'm not looking at all the pages. Let me scroll through. I don't see any other hands that people that have not spoken. So I think we're we're done with the debate. Uh, as I indicated at the beginning, uh, we're going to continue this matter until Tuesday the 21st for a vote. Uh, we'll not take any further discussion. Um, the, the purpose of it is to allow two other participating commission members that have been involved and will watch the entirety of, of tonight. Um, Some of us haven't spoken. Okay, I, I didn't see anybody, but Deborah, I now I now see you. I I tried to scan everybody, but Deborah, go ahead. Thank you so much. I have about three minutes. Um, will that be okay? That will be fine. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, first of all, I want to start out with a fun fact. The chemical <laughs> company Monsanto invented a product called ChemGrass, C-H-E-M, grass, ChemGrass, in 1964. They renamed it AstroTurf after the Houston Astros installed it in their Astrodome in 1966. The original name was called ChemGrass, an acknowledgement that the plastic is chemical. Okay, I want to follow up with the document I sent the board yesterday. My apologies for the late submission. It had not been ready to share until after the submission deadline. Thanks to those of you who took the time to read it. And that means we have not had the time to review the plan presented tonight. Many new questions arise off the top of my head. Did I hear you say you plan to extend pavement into the conservation lands to prevent parking? You have to approve simple uh, no, hold on. And you're hey, we didn't say pavement. Deborah, we didn't say pavement. pavement? In the that's, that's a fence. That, oh, that's good. a split rail fence. Oh, I thought you said pavement. No. Okay. I, I just want to say I feel really badly for the sports program shortage of fields. They're well-meaning parents and coaches. But the science should not be ignored just because we really need a field. Uh, I recently conducted research in my role as professor of public health at Northeastern with the support of the PFAS lab and its director, Dr. Phil Brown, an internationally recognized expert on PFAS. I presented it today, ironically, at the American Public Health Association Conference in Atlanta, where I'm still sitting in my hotel room. I met several other people who were also organizing to keep plastic turf out of our environment, most notably the director of policy and government affairs for the Massachusetts Association of Health Boards. He is happy to speak with the Conservation Commission about the growing number of boards of health across Massachusetts who are concerned about the environmental public health impact of plastic on our wetlands, our drinking water, and our kids. One person I met today said wetlands are not intended to filter out toxic plastic chemicals, especially PFAS. She said nitrates and other organic materials, yes, but not plastic chemicals like this. She couldn't believe the plan was to use wetlands as the filter for toxic chemicals. It's naive to think you can filter out these chemicals, as someone just said. The committee, with all due respect, You've come up with your own invented plan. There's no published literature that demonstrates your plan is evidence-based. Because of the experience debating turf, I became very curious to understand how many other cities and towns, especially conservation commissions and boards of health, 
um, who are doing exactly what we're doing here. It felt funny that everyone's doing the same thing in their own little town. With the help of other advocates and research assistants, I conducted an inventory of 351 cities and towns across the state who are debating turf and especially who are going before public bodies asking for moratoriums and bans. My findings show that many others in your same position are deciding that plastic turf next to wetlands is too big a risk to take. Now that you won't be voting until next month, they recommend consulting other conservation commissions who have voted against it and find out why. Here's what I found out. 45 cities and towns are debating or have already voted. Seven municipalities have passed moratoriums and bans. There are 13 conservation commissions across the state who have heard arguments against turf, some of whom have voted to prevent turf installation and others who have not voted yet. The Arlington Conservation Commission currently has a moratorium in place. The Conservation Commission in Sherborne also voted against it and issued a press release that said, impacts to wetlands are, of, are a concern of and regulated by the Sherborne Conservation Commission. The commission is concerned about the introduction of hazardous materials that could contaminate wetlands and interconnected groundwater as well as a nearby brook with broader connections. Because of the risk, a number of our nearby towns has decided against artificial fields or have delayed consideration in order to learn more about the health and environment impact. One conservation commission member said, um, we are absolutely confident that the artificial turf won't cause harm. They are obligated to follow the precautionary principle, which um, Paul said earlier. When it comes to synthetic turf, turf, the most sensible approach may be to follow the precautionary principle of assuming something involving chemicals is hazardous until scientific evidence proves otherwise. Sharon voted, voted a three-year moratorium. Concord has a moratorium in place. Oak Bluffs, as you heard, um, um, is contemplating a ban. I, they just voted the other day. I think you said, anyway, I don't know the latest. Nantucket School Committee decided to pause plans for artificial turf for at least a year and on and on. I have a list of 58 towns I could tell you all about. Boards of Health are voting against it. The Board of Health and Amherst voted against turf four to zero. They said, I quote, a Board of Health is required by law to protect the public health and environment from damage and pollution. By the way, um, boards of health should be involved because artificial turf products are unregulated. The CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention notes that artificial turf is one of seven sources of lead exposure for youth. Both the Consumer Product Safety Commission and the Environmental Protection Agency have pulled back their previous statements on artificial turf, acknowledging the multiple concerns raised by the scientific and public communities about the product. After consideration, um, another consideration never occurred to me, the laws that protect turf manufacturing companies from releasing the ingredients of their product. Many academic researchers have published studies testing the product, showing chemicals and PFAS, not just the info and all the components, but the turf companies themselves fall under the, quote, confidential business information clause. This means that the CDC doesn't regulate a product whose ingredients are proprietary and not available to the product, the public. The industry is greenwashing their products, trying, meaning trying to make you think plastic is safe and friendly. Don't be fooled by them because that's their intent. Thank you for your patience. I know people in the community are impatient to make a decision, and I get that, but environmental contamination cannot be taken back once it happens. Um, 
Yes, the town, you, the town needs fields. Yes, it's legitimate and it's really important. But the solution is to have a townwide strategic plan to manage all of our grass fields. This grass field floods because it's constructed improperly. It needs to be constructed properly. This, um, we should, so Marble and Springfield, they both have had for years organically managed natural grass fields with the help of Turi out of UMass Lowell. Um, uh, and they're detailed reports and they've done it on a on a budget and they've done it successfully. Um, Deborah, can you wrap up please? Yep, I have a couple more sentences and I'm done, thank you. So what I'm asking tonight <laughs> is to, and I know you say you're gonna vote next month, but what I'm asking- Next Tuesday, the 21st. It's not a moratorium and say, oh, wait a second, maybe we should consult other conservation commissions. Um, there are dozens and dozens of other communities who are having the exact same conversation and they're coming out with a different result than you are. And I'm urging you, maybe it's time to bring in the Board of Health, moratorium. I know uh, um, next week, not next month. I know the pro-turf folks are gonna be impatient and I get that. We do have a crisis in fields, I totally respect that. But this, this is so critical and I just wanna urge you talk to other conservation commissions across the state talk to the Milton Board of Health. It's too consequential to just make this decision in a vacuum. And I really appreciate your patience and letting me. Thank you. Now I see one hand and one hand only. There'll be one more speaker and then we're gonna close debate. I see CMAC, I don't believe you have spoken. Oh, hi. I just, it, this is more of a, um, I guess an administrative question. So I understand the vote is next week. Um, I think we've heard a lot of comments. Um, I think I've heard a lot of, you know, I've been tuning into these meetings. A lot of the state, the same things are being said. And I guess I'd just like for, to hear from the Conservation Commission, you know, what, is there anything additional at this point from, you know, delaying a vote next week? Because I think there's a lot of residents that are very committed, clearly on both sides of this conversation and are dedicating their time and participating. And I think, you know, at this point as a community, we have to come together. And I understand the concerns and the comparison to other towns, but we are not Concord. We are not Lexington. We are not the Vineyard. We are not Nantucket. We just approved a land swap to build a new school. We're part of the MBTA, you know, transit community. We're about to increase our zoning for housing. This is going to bring in a lot of children, a lot of young families. And quite frankly, we do not have the capacity to service all of these incoming families with the direction that the town is going with the field space we have. And I think the sooner we do this, the better. And I think as a community, we have to go to a vote. Thank you. Thank you very much. That will conclude debate. Uh, this uh, agenda item will be continued until Tuesday, the 21st of November at 7.30 p.m. Uh, the link, in, link to the Zoom meeting will be on the town website. Uh, that concludes the discussion of this agenda item. I think that brings sir? up. Chair, sir, sorry, this is Tracy Stewart. I had that question regarding Brockville. Is that, will that be answered? Oh. Well, I'm sorry that you you did ask a question and I, I put most of them down here. It was, tell me what the question was. 
what the recommended treatments are for Brockville when it freezes? Oh, I, 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 I don't know that. Uh, Chris, if you know it, that's great. Go ahead. I, I certainly don't know. Uh, we wouldn't recommend that you put any treatment on the field whatsoever. Um, if it if it does freeze, it's not going to freeze any more than a natural grass field would uh, under similar conditions. So, no, I, I don't have anything more than that. Thank you very much. Um, so that uh, we're going to move on to the next uh, agenda item. That concludes our discussion tonight. Thank you very much, all. Uh, uh, most everybody was wonderful and articulate. Um, we move on now to item 16, which is additional, additional business. Um, can you, uh, Philip, I think what we have as, as I think we can take a look at this under additional business, but there is a, um, freedom of information act request for, uh, minutes that we had not yet approved. And I think they were in the packet. Did everybody have a chance to um review and they go back to 2021 um john i actually sent them yesterday to the board members yes they weren't included in the packet i, um, I did re read them myself okay if, if we can we can vote on it tonight I, i'm fine uh if anybody wants to uh, take the next week we're going to be meeting next next tuesday um I'm okay with it, but if you if you haven't looked at them, then I suggest you do. Is it, would anybody does anybody want to vote tonight or wait until Tuesday to vote? My preference is to wait until Tuesday if we could. That's fine. That makes that makes sense. Um, but we we do have a request for uh, it's a freedom of information request for those those minutes, and so we can take care of that on Tuesday. Would you make sure that's on the agenda as well as? Uh, the vote on on this absolutely all right thank you all right uh any other additional business arthur anybody actually none mr chair none i think we're good then uh is there a motion to adjourn so moved any second thanks todd yeah. all in favor aye 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 all right. perfect done thanks all Good night. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you, Philip. See you Saturday. See you Saturday. <laughs>